Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Movie Channel and our Star Wars Retrospective Podcast, where every Wednesday and every Saturday we'll be covering a new installment in the classic franchise. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout. Go to weirdgeeks.com to check out our other podcast series, Twitch streams, contact details, and news on our very own feature films that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the films referenced, and no infringement is intended. Geeks! 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 Hello and welcome back to the Weird Geeks Star Wars Retrospective Podcast where every single, well I was going to say week, but now we're in catch up mode. So three times <laughs> a week we're taking you through the Star Wars movies in the lead up to The Last Jedi. We are back this week with Star Wars The Force Awakens released in 2015. I am your sort of host Al White and guiding us through the journey will be Alexander Chard. Hello there. And along like a Wookiee for the ride, it's Christina <laughs> Masterson. Hi. Hey. You got your own little wookie today Shh. that you're hanging out with. Nobody needs to know. You don't want to talk about your dog? Groucho's in my lap for this podcast. <laughs> uh, we do Chris- definitely need to stay. Christina, can yes? you roar like a wookie? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I cannot. And <laughs> I'm sorry. You gave it a damn good try. Do it, Alex. Sound and a- then maybe I'll do Let me try after you. <laughs> Oh, that was that, that was, was really good. good. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I preferred no. your first attempt. <laughs> You're fucking going for it. I love it. You sound more like a Wilhelm scream than <laughs> yeah. And we'll be we'll be getting to Wilhelm screams like next week, actually. But anyway, here we are. The Force Awakens. We're 2015. How weird to be in a modern time which we can all hopefully identify with. In a second, we're going to have Christina take us through the top 20 films of this year, and we'll all know what we're talking about for once, because we all existed. Because we all But existed. how long has it been? What? That's we funny. did. We definitely all existed. Yeah. Confirmed. It has been 10 years, though, since the previous film, uh, Revenge of the Sith, if we're not including the Clone Wars, but Clone Wars was 2008, so it's been eight, eight years. That's math. Wow, you have to years. include the Clone Wars. That's not even math. Seven years. It's been seven years <laughs> since the last film that reviewed. But the last live action film, the last, let's be honest, the last real film was 10 years before this, The Revenge of the Sith. Again, I use real, real film with inverted commas there because we had some disparate opinions on that one. <laughs> but a lot happened in those 10 years. Very important time. Huge changeovers. Christina, I presume you know some of this stuff just from the pop culture of what was going on. Not sure how much you do know. But up until that point, George Lucas, up until 2012, in fact, George Lucas had held on to the rights of Lucasfilm and all of its properties. Star Wars was one of them. Indiana Jones was another one. Alex, is there other stuff that Lucasfilm owns, really? Or is it really just those two? I feel like it's just those two. And then obviously all yeah. the kind of like companies that are within that bubble, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of other things. But in terms of film properties, I probably should have looked that up. I didn't. But yes, owned all of it, managed to keep every single percent. We've, we've been kind of accolading him back in the original ones, how he managed to do that, really fighting for stuff in order to keep full creative control and keep ownership of everything. And then when he came back to the prequels, he took lots of sort of director salary cuts in order so that he could keep control of everything. Because of that, 
very unique setup. I don't think anyone's ever done this before like that. Lucas gets to 2012. He owns all of it. He was in his like, he was just like just turning 70, wasn't he? I think at that point. And he had ideas for a new trilogy. And he had been talking to people about it. He'd been talking to the old team about it. I mean, he had plans. And then he realized in order to do a new trilogy, it was going to take him another 10 years to do. He wasn't sure if he'd still be around in another 10 years. Aww. And he had other stories he wanted to tell. So he decided as a very, very painful thing for him, it was time to let Star Wars go. So he sold it, all of Lucasfilm, not just Star Wars, to Disney for $4.05 billion. Whoa. He got half of that in cash. <laughs> which I love that they would just turn up at his door with like a very big briefcase. <laughs> it would not be a briefcase. It'd be a truck. <laughs> and then half he got in shares of disney stock now he was meant to still be a consultant on these films because disney immediately this happened in october october 30th 2012 was when it actually happened it was then announced in the beginning of november to the public that this had happened and disney originally immediately came out with we're going to be making star wars movies here we go here's a roadmap it's going to be a lot so (laughs) buckle up and he was meant to be a creative consultant. And he is down, I believe, on this film. I'm not sure on the next one. We'll see when we get there as a creative consultant. And he originally went into those meetings with his ideas, pitching his ideas. And Disney made it very clear to him that they wanted to make something for the fans. Uh, they felt his prequels weren't for the fans. They wanted to get back to that, do something for the fans, try and make new kids happy, but also make sure that those you know, people who are now in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s were sated with what they grew up loving lucas didn't want to do that he told him he didn't want to make something for the fans big surprise and he 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 kind of makes it sound more romantic uh but he says i just want to tell stories which sure (laughs) that's my process of filmmaking (laughs) so yeah he said it was very very painful but he had uh, some arguments about it and they ended up completely parting ways because he realized like i don't have the control anymore to make them do what i want them to do so i just it's easier if i just let it go completely rather than fight it and have it sort of torn apart in that way. He did come out with some bad comments later on about he saying he sold Star Wars to white slave owners, wasn't it? Or yeah, white something slave like laborers. Or and then he kind of stops. He kind of laughed after that comment and stopped himself from saying any more because he knew he was going to get in trouble. But regardless, I think of how you feel of Lucas. Amazing, he had held on to it for that long, like every single percent yeah. ownership. Great, you know. I mean, great payday for him. And obviously, clearly very painful. He said when he eventually went to see The Force Awakens in cinemas, it was like going to an ex-wife's new wedding, basically. It was, it was a very painful experience for him. It was interesting yeah. because, yeah, obviously all that came out during that time and he sort of made it very clear how he, he felt. But one thing that surprised me at last year's 40th anniversary of the Star Wars film at the Star Wars celebration that's held in Anaheim every year, he made an appearance and was like introduced by Kathleen Kennedy and he spoke again very openly about the characters and stories he created and from the interviews I saw he didn't I think he did speak a little bit about The Force Awakens but he seemed far less bitter than he did initially which I thought was interesting in some of the interviews I saw with him yeah yeah I mean it's only been a couple of years so yeah that's surprising but also like um I mean, yeah. Also, you have to, don't you? <laughs> like, you have to be okay with it because Disney have a very strong roadmap, particularly, well, for the mainline series. We'll get into the other ones, the side stories next week, because that's maybe less strong, their vision for that. How did you feel, Al, when, uh, when this takeover happened and you first found out about it? 
at first I was just amazed he had kept every percent. Like that genuinely to me was gobsmacking. I didn't realize he'd managed to keep full ownership of something that big, which I thought was incredible. I was absolutely elated that he'd given it up. Like I have a bit more respect for Lucas now going back and hearing some of those stories from the first ones, really respecting him now for the, A New Hope and his storytelling and direction of that film. But I was, regardless of that, like now, like even going back, it's it needed new blood so desperately. Like I really felt he was one of those creators who was like, you need other people now. You don't know what's best for your own child anymore. And you need other people to come in and let it go off into the world and influence it in different ways. And I think it is true with children. It's the same kind of way. It's like, you set it up, you put some of that lore into them and some of that preparation, and then you have to let them go off and have other experiences with other people. Otherwise, they're not living their life properly. And that's kind of how I feel with something this big, with a universe this big, it's got to go to different places and do different things that aren't Lucas-centric. So I was excited. Christina, were you aware any of this was happening at all? Or Absolutely not. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> to be honest. No, that's great. Honestly, it's really, it's, it's so good having someone who represents a huge chunk of the public where it's like, well, you know when the Star Wars films in cinemas mm -hmm. and you might go and see it and you might not. But anything else around that is like, whoa, who cares? It's just what is what is the product, basically. Because that's really all it's about at the end of the day. It's like, is the film good or not? I mean, this was the first one that I ever watched in... This is the only one I ever watched in theaters. Yeah. Well, this so is what, the only okay. one that I've what? ever watched before this podcast. <laughs> so, okay, so then to, to crystallize that down, what was it that made you go and see it? Do you have someone dragging you or did something make you want to go and see this one? No, I had somebody dragging me, yeah. <laughs> what a legend that person was <laughs> was it alex by any chance <laughs> maybe um, no it was my, it was uh brandon my husband oh. we went to what go watch it a legend well, is he a star wars fan or was it just this one he was um yeah he was growing up for the original one so that's the only ones that he's seen the first two he saw them in theater what when he was a legend <laughs> you should marry that guy <laughs> again <laughs> again <laughs> yeah alex obviously you're the biggest star wars fan out of the three of us were you excited that lucas was gone yeah in the same way same sort of feeling as you al I, I felt that at this point the franchise needed some fresh eyes especially coming off the back of the sequels so i was really really excited and excited that they announced straight away that they were going to do a new trilogy my initial feeling at that point was like, oh, because there'd been all this um, expanded universe stuff that had followed the stories of our main characters after Return of the Jedi. And that I and some of that stuff I really liked because that was that was Lucas kind of approving and having creative input in stories, but handing it over to people, which he didn't do in his films. So I thought a lot of it was going to be based on some of that sort of law and stories that were already there but then that was all scrapped and i've made my feelings known about that <laughs> you've never brought that up I, I, this is news to me i didn't realize yeah. there's bitterness it's all been scrapped now all the eu stuff but but no i was really excited yeah and just really anticipating what was to come and i thought that yeah that it was that it was in good good hands initially well that was the real thing ideas. wasn't it? even people who were excited i think most people were excited to see lucas out the worry was Disney in. For me, I remember having a few arguments with people about that and that, look, it's Disney. Sure, I have a lot of problems with Disney. A lot of problems with Disney. But Disney in, 20, in, sorry, in 2009 have bought Marvel. 
And they had really been put allowing Marvel to do the Marvel universe how they wanted to do it. And so I really had faith. I thought, okay, look, Disney are learning how to be respectful with these properties and to allow them to do their own thing. So I'm presuming they're going to let Lucasfilm still operate, you know, the way that they want to and allow creative people to come in and have their voice and creative directors to come in and, and show their style. We'll get into as we go <laughs> yeah. through these three new films, whether that's happening or not. And in our wrap up, what the future uh, is kind of coming. But that gave me hope. But I was cautious. I was worried. Like Disney is, you know, they're going to be concerned about the toys. They're going to be concerned about their new tie-in animated shows. They're going to be concerned about the kids in a way that I don't like Star Wars being, you know. I like Star Wars to be more respective just to the universe rather than the audience. So, yeah, I was excited and scared. And then very quickly before, because I want to, you know, I want to move along and get into top 20 films of the year. But before we do, we do have to talk about, and we've mentioned it briefly before, but the trailers for this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's been 10 years since there had been a trailer for, well, 11 years probably, since there had been a trailer for another live-action Star Wars movie. It was a huge deal when the first trailers came out. I remember, and we talked about this a couple of times, we're actually on the podcast, you can hear if you go back, I don't know what episode it would be, whenever that month would be, go back and check in the regular geek show. And it was you, me, and <laughs> Nate. And me and Nate had just come into the podcast having seen the trailer and we were fucking pumped. Like, we were like, that looks absolutely amazing. Yeah, this, this was the full really two-minute trailer, not the, not the teaser, yeah. just to clarify. Oh, yeah, there was a tease, the full trailer, and then there was another trailer, wasn't there? Were there just those three, I think, in the end? Yeah. Or two? Yeah, I mean, two there were international three. ones and stuff yeah. like that. But, but for me, these were that rare thing of, like, really getting a trailer right. Normally, I like to see a teaser, and that's it, because I don't want to know any more information. Trailers show way too much nowadays. But... And I am avoiding trailers now for The Last of Jedi. I don't want to know anymore. But for those ones, like it was so good. It was like, here is the mood, here are shots, but we're not going to tell you any story. And that fucking feeling for that trailer when they come in and you get the music suddenly comes in at the end and you get that one shot of the Millennium Falcon and then you get Han Solo and Chewie. Was yeah. that on that one or was that the next one? Yeah, that, that was that one. That was the second one. That was one. that one. You just get Han Solo right at the end, coming with Chewie and just saying, Chewie, we're home. And then Chewie just like does his growl. <laughs> and it was just, oh my God, the impact of that after <laughs> so long. Could have been 10 years since the last film, but it was since 83 that we'd seen these characters on screen. It had been 33 years since we'd seen this happen. And it was like, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan and I was over the fucking moon. Like it, get you, it got you welling up to see them back again. And you, Alex... We're sitting on the podcast going, no, I'm not going to see it. I don't want to watch it. I want to go in fresh. I'm not going to see it. <laughs> and that lasted for all of... Minutes. 20 minutes? Yeah, it was pretty know. quick. I mean, I've held out on the last Jedi trailer. I only watched the teaser and I still haven't watched anything else. Uh, well done. Which is getting difficult as the weeks, as we get closer to its release and more stuff is just popping up everywhere. But yeah, I I... What going into watching The Force Awakens for this podcast, I went back and watched the teaser. I went and watched it again as we were setting up for this podcast. And that teaser for me is just perfect. And I still get that same level of excitement, just like you just described, like welling up inside of me. And just like, oh God, just like what it reveals, like the whole thing with Finn appearing and it's like desert and you don't know if it's, it looks like Tatooine and then you... You see a bit of Ray, and then you hear that voice and you don't know who it is talking about there being an awakening on the dark side of the light and then just screen goes to black and then suddenly you see the Millennium Falcon soar through the Star Wars theme like 
just amps up and he's chasing two black tie fighters and it's just like oh my god i was so pumped <laughs> and i'm still pumped watching that now i think it's it's perfect it's perfect and you see it was the a perfect amount stroopers like just flashing oh in the yeah light. it's like oh it was a perfect amount of fan service, which I think is something we're going to be getting into in this review. It's like the level of fan service, whether it's enough for us, too much for us, like where it comes and goes. But for that trailer, really, really fucking nailed it. And it's easy, like I get Christina, it's easy to kind of laugh at it a little bit. But you've seen those original films now. I know obviously you're not going to be as attached to them. No, I get it more now. Like, yeah. Totally. If, but if you've seen those I as really a kid do. and it's 30 years plus later, you know, it's it was so exciting. I really want. Plus, Harrison Ford looks fucking great. And that's a worry. Most people, when they come back... I know, back he really does. They reprise their roles really and people does. look terrible. He looks awesome. He really does. He looks great. Mm. Yeah, he. Yeah, it was great. Okay, so we'll get into a couple more facts in a second. Christina, do you want to guide us through 2015? What were the top 20 movies of the year that hopefully everybody listening remembers unless you were blackout drunk that year? <laughs> okay, number one, we got... Oh, wait, no! no. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Rewind. Spoiler. Okay, I'm sorry. Number 20, San Andreas. Oh, yeah. Did you guys watch that? Yeah, the I Rock. Did. I did. I did, yeah. It's a bad, yeah, it's a bad... Uh, and The Rock's teamed up with that same director for Rampage now, based on the old 80s Brad computer Payton. game. Yeah, not, not, okay. not great. Number 19, which I'm surprised it's so low, straight out of Compton. Oh, yeah, yeah. that is surprising it's so low. I, yeah. I guess it was more of a critical success than a public. I, so. I think in LA that would have been. Surprising it's so Han Solo. <laughs> Please continue. Okay, Alex. <laughs> Number 18, the Spawn. Oh, the SpongeBob movie. Sponge Out <laughs> it's of like the, the Water. The SpawnBob movie is a very different <laughs> film. <laughs> I'm sorry. The SpongeBob movie. I saw this movie as well. I quite like you it. You did? Yeah. Well, isn't this yeah, out of water? Yeah, yeah. This is the one which is live action with SpongeBob like over the top of it. And I'm a real, I have a weird thing where I love like Roger Rabbit style. I love animation on live action mm. a lot for some weird reason. It's like, and there's actually a lot of cartoons this year that are in the top 20. Interesting. Number 17, which I am also surprised is so low, 50 Shades of Grey. <laughs> All right. Mm. Is that number two or number one? That's Grey's first one. Because then oh, it was Fifty okay. Shades Darker. And have you, have you heard the name for the oh, new one? Oh, yeah. No, what is it? It's mind-boggling. It is what? Fifty Shades Freed. F-E-R-E-E-D. Which I'm not... I mean, it is a word, but I don't think in that sentence it's a word. Fifty Shades Freed. <laughs> it's not like... I don't know, man. Fifty Shades Freed. But free I'm going to watch freer. it. <laughs> freed. You know there's actual porn out there you can watch, right, Christina? No, I go I go with my mom and my sister. Oh, yeah. Don't watch porn with your mom and your sister. <laughs> no. Okay, number 16. No, I actually haven't seen the second one yet. And then you won't understand what's one. going on in Freed. Uh, you should catch up. I know. I'm gonna. Okay. <clears throat> number 16. Hotel Transylvania, number two. I didn't see this one. I didn't see the first I one. Didn't I didn't either. Didn't see. No, I didn't see Me neither. Number 15. Another cartoon. Home. Two. Oh, I thought that fucking bombed. That was like a huge bomb for Disney, I thought. Home, Home two. Which Hang one on. was that? Yeah. There was a second An one? An alien on the run from his own people makes friends with a girl. There's a Home two? Yeah. It has Rihanna in it, Steve Martin, Jennifer Lopez, Jim Parsons. 
Are you sure it's not? Just I've never, I've never even seen any. I've never even heard of this. Movie. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Does the does it have a brackets like two after it? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. No, yeah, that's just home one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They do that when there's like another oh, film. Why? When it's yeah, especially when there's another film on IMDb that already has that title, it'll be like that's the second oh, film to I have see. that title, basically. I was okay. like, they made a fucking sequel to that piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it hit number 15. Yeah, th- That's yeah. pretty good. Fine. Okay, number 14. I've never heard of this. Ant-Man. You've never heard of Ant-Man? Is that a joke? <laughs> no. What? Is it good? It's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I see. Rudd. It's Paul Rudd being yeah, Paul Rudd. Michael Douglas. <laughs> okay anyways i guess i'll watch it I mean, is it good no i mean no not really the, that's the only oh. one where disney speaking of disney like working with other companies it's the only one where they kind of did get involved and there was a fallout similar to what we're going to see with the latest star wars movies edgar wright who directed baby driver scott pilgrim and Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz he was developing Ant-Man for many, many years and then started shooting it and then basically got chucked off and then he got replaced with a more just atypical Hollywood director. And the film's really mm. weird because you don't you get a bit of Edgar Wright's personality, but not the whole thing. So it's, it's a frustrating movie because it could have been fantastic. If they just kept the original director. Got to keep them directors. We're important. Okay. We matter. We, we matter. <laughs> I believe you do. <laughs> Number Al, we're 13. Dropping you through this, we're dropping you <laughs> off this podcast and replacing you with the Just halfway director. through, please. <laughs> never. We would never do that. Mm. Number 13, which I'm also surprised is so low. The Revenant. Oh, well. Ooh. Grizzly Bear. Yeah, that was pretty That good. one might get muddled because that then got a release, I think, in foreign markets just after New Year. I see. So, that, so it was timing. Yeah, that might be split over both years of, of where that kind of falls in the fence. I think that was my film of the year, though, that year, actually. Yeah, that was really good. Pitch Perfect 2 is number 12. Oh, no, that was my film of the year. <laughs> Real? No. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> number 11. Does anybody have anything to say about that? Haven't seen them. No. No. I haven't seen them either. So we can't no. judge. Okay. N- yeah, we can't judge. Just like Trump. Number 11. I've never met him, so I can't judge. Shut up. Hey. <laughs> Take it back. <laughs> Number 11, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Or is it Rogue Nation? Rogue Nation. How embarrassing. I like, no, I like it being more French. I like Rouge, Rouge Nation. Nation. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, yeah, that was that one. All I remember is the end of this with Tom Cruise like walking off in a market and some some far too young girl <laughs> hanging out with him as always. Like, she's your daughter's Do you watch age. all... Do you watch all the Mission Impossibles? I mean, I've seen them all. I don't rewatch um, them so all. you have yeah I so have you have yeah why <laughs> because you always know i think weirdly so, yeah because i'm not a bond fan and i'm not a mission impossible fan but what i like about mission impossible is they get in a completely different director each time so they're all very different they're like pick mm, a mix mm-hmm. of flavors of stuff which is kind of fun i see well speaking of bond number 10 uh spectre spectre what is that word spectre spectre nice segue though you did there like it <laughs> which one this number is, nine uh, that's the one with what's his face it javier Bardem. is it that is that that uh, one uh christopher waltz in it oh it's the christopher waltz one yeah that was um, is this the one okay. nobody liked or is this the one people like no that's one people like quantum of solace was one people didn't like specter some people thought was the best one i think for a while because there were lots of nods to the old films i still like casino royale quote I think that yeah one. i liked that 
Number nine, which I never even, I didn't even know this movie existed. Cinderella? Cinderella? It was huge that year. With Lily Lily James and Kate Blanchett? Yeah. Oh, I never saw it. That's like the beginning. Was this like a live action? Yeah, that was the beginning of Disney's live action. That was the one, that was the blueprint for them that proved these live action (gasps) movies are going to make them tons of money. I see. And then that's when they met, and then they made Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, now they're doing all of them. Right. And this so is actually Lily, I see. Lily James is one of uh, Tamro and Nate's friends. Mm, I should watch it because uh, I really liked Beauty and the Beast, actually. Oh, dear. Get off this show. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. I also watched it on the plane. So I, I love everything that I watch on the plane for some reason. That's I'm also um, friends eight. with Tamro and, and Nate. Just, just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, Alex. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, The Martian. Cool. Uh, Matt Damon. Ridley Scott. Potato Poops. Potato Poops. I watched that, yeah. I like that movie. It was way more of an ensemble comedy than I thought. I remember from the trailers, I thought that was going to be really serious. And instead, it's like quite goofy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's didn't it, didn't it win the Golden Globe comedy category? Yeah, I think it did, didn't it? What? It, it did? Like, what? Yeah. 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 Or, or it was either... It either it was definitely nominated in that category. Yeah. Because people were like, what? Comedy? But it, yeah, it is. And it's a proper ensemble. All the trailers are just him. And then when you watch the film, it's like, oh, we're cutting back and forth to Earth like all the time. But it was a good film. I like it. So it was the best thing Ridley Scott's Number- done in ages. Sorry. Hmm. Sorry, Christina. Yeah, it was a good film. I liked it. Number seven, which I'm surprised is so low too, The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2. Yeah, that is quite low. I think everyone was kind of dumb on The Hunger Games by then. I think it was really. Yeah, was I, this the, I went to the movie theaters for the Hunger Games every time one came out. You were the one. Was this the Was this the last one, or yeah. was was the last one split in two segments? Oh yeah, this was awful. Yeah, they Harry Potted it. <laughs> yeah. Oh I yeah, that that's right. We're going to talk about another Hunger Games okay. film in a second, actually, my, which is my favorite Hunger Games. Which is your favorite Hunger Games, Christina? I don't know. Excellent. The first one. Sure. Mine's the second. Mine's the second. I just forget, you know, (laughs) after I watch things, I usually forget about that. Well, the writer of The Force Awakens, one of the writers was also the writer of the second Hunger Games movie and none of Mm. the other Hunger Games movies, which points out to me maybe why it's my favorite Mm. Hunger Games movie. I see. Number six, Minions. Was that that really that long ago? I feel that, that that was more recent. I really liked the first 15 minutes of that where you get the history through time via the minions and there's no talking i think that is fantastic mm. and that should be a short film in itself the rest of the film mm. Mm. Oh. Hmm. Mm. never seen you it. heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> number five furious seven or if you're Vin in the Diesel. uk fast and furious seven because they're worried that we're going to get confused for some reason <laughs> oh what is this furious seven <laughs> why are they so angry Number four, Inside Out. Another cartoon. Oh, that was the Pixar one, wasn't it? Everyone went fucking crazy over. I didn't like it. I was. I I think I was the one person who didn't like it. I think. I thought it was like a direct-to-DVD story. Um, It was just really. Well, it's number four, actually. Well, you know, I have. You know, I've. If if there's one thing that's becoming increasingly poignant as I move further forward in years, Christina, it's that my opinions are not only. Shared by few people, but irrelevant, <laughs> really. Um. <laughs> Finally, you got that. Jeez. 
<laughs> Number three, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Ultron. Was that only two Ultron? years ago. Wow. I guess so. God, they've done a what? lot, haven't they? Was... Two years. Yeah. I guess. I, guess. I don't know. Well, I guess two and a half years when was, ago. When was Civil War? Was that last year? Yeah, Civil War was last year. And we just had the Infinity War trailer, which looks fucking great. Fuck, that's crazy. Just two years. Wow. All right. I liked Age of Ultron more than the first Avengers movie, but again, not an opinion shared by most people. I saw the beginning of Age of Ultron, fell asleep, and then saw the end. <laughs> I never watched it, guys. I'm not surprised. You don't watch Marvel movies. <laughs> Have you seen any Marvel movie? No, I haven't. Not a lot. Don't, don't accidentally don't know, sign up to that franchise when we do it because they've already confirmed 22 <laughs> films by the end of next year and then they got another 20 that they've got planned for the future. So, Oh my gosh. Well, they have a lot of TV shows too on Netflix, right? That's not even including the TV. Yeah, If we went into the TV, yeah. we're in a whole world of hurt. Yeah, I think there's like four or five different shows. Oh, yeah. You got Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, The Defenders, Punisher, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter. Yeah, other stuff too. Mm -hmm. Legion, Runaways, other things. Okay, okay. We get it. We get it, Al. We get it. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to number two, Jurassic World. Yay. Chris Pratt. So the, <laughs> riding <laughs> raptors. So this was the year. This was the year of two huge good? franchises coming back, mm. and that whole thing of like, can you can you do the fan service but also give something new? Can you get that balance right where you're making both sides of the fence happy, the new kids and the old? So it was weird to have Jurassic World and a new Star Wars film in the same year. That was for my generation. That was oh my god! Huge. I did watch Jurassic World actually. Congratulations. I did. Do you remember Chris Pratt catches a fly in midair while talking to someone? I don't remember that. <laughs> Which I like to feel he ad libbed and they just had to CGI do. him. He's just, he's just talking. To, he's like working on his motorcycle when she comes up to talk to him. And then he stands up and they have this ridiculous conversation. And then there's just a fly in there and he just catches it while he's talking to her. It's unbelievable. That's smooth, stupid. Al. Smooth. Even if there's not Chris one there, Pratt, good American tip for guys hero. chatting up girls. Just pretend to catch a fly. She yes. won't be able to prove it wasn't there. Or just carry a really dead fly move. in your hand at all times. So afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just glue and it to your palm. <laughs> what is number what one? What we've all been waiting for. Number one. Star Wars. The Force Awakens. So they're back in the number one slot. They've only missed one, haven't they? Was it Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith they missed? I think it was Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Revenge of the Sith brought it back. So yeah, they've only I'm missed one. That must be painful if you cl- for them. <laughs> There must be an ego thing attached to that for Lucas of, fuck, one of my films wasn't at number one. It's crazy. But yeah. It grossed. You want to know how much it grossed? Yeah, I do. $936.66 million. And that was wow. in the US alone. So this film wow. was the third movie. So it cost $245 million to make. Whole chunk of change. Uh, marketing on top would round it out to about $500 million. It made $2 billion worldwide. So this is the third movie in history to go over $2 billion in gross from cinematic release. The only other two have been Avatar and Titanic. And this, that is it. Wow. So made a lot of money. That's so impressive. It is directed by New Blood. We've got a guy called J.J. Abrams. who Never directed- heard of him. First film? <laughs> first film well 
you say that like it's a joke, but almost because he's mostly like he's so famous. But when you really look at the stuff he's directed, he hasn't directed much. Like he's more known for creating TV shows like Lost and Alias and Felicity. Films he actually directed, his first one was a Mission Impossible film, which was number three. Back in 2006, he then went on to do Star Trek in 2009. He did Super 8 in 2011, the sequel to Star Trek, Into Darkness. And that's it until this point. That's all he had directed. So this was actually his, what's that? One, two, three, four, his fifth film. And the only person to direct a Star Wars and a Star Trek movie. Which I remember at the time, do you remember that Alex people were kind of contentious about that? It's like, you can't have the same person directing Star Trek and Star Wars. Christina Masterson will get confused about which retrospective she's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the ultimate, with my the, emojis. The, the, mega, the mega nerds on both sides of the, uh, of the line of yeah. Star Trek and Star Wars were, were in uproar. Everyone was angry. <laughs> my people worried there'd be too many lens flares because that's what he's known for. We can judge the lens flares as we go through. Uh, it was written by, they wrote back in, Lawrence Kazdan from Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. He didn't write A New Hope, but he wrote those two sequels from the original series. And he also did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Great screenwriter. But I will get to this a little bit in this film because as in our previous podcast, I did say like I think A New Hope is actually better written than Empire Strikes Back and, Re- and Return of the Jedi as a film sort of narrative. But still, very exciting to have new blood. Uh, sorry, Old Blood, I mean, come back. It was also written by J.J. Abrams and also by a guy called Michael Arndt, who, as I said before, he wrote The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. His first film he wrote was Little Miss Sunshine. Aww. He also wrote Inside Out, which came out this year, that we just talked about. And he also wrote... Did you like that film, Al? No, I didn't like it. Uh, I had a DVD, kind of straight-to-DVD narrative that I thought was kind of boring. And he wrote <laughs> Toy Story 3 and Oblivion, the Tom Cruise very stylish sci-fi film so yeah it's kind of cool we got like the director writing he's always going to be involved somehow really always the director in a film like this but they're getting old star wars blood in and then getting someone new in as well to try and balance everything out it seems like the right formula to do all the things they need to do starring a whole bunch of people here we go deep breath harrison ford as han solo Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Daisy Ridley as Rey, John Boyega as Finn. I always want to say Bodega. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, Andy Serkis as Supreme Leader Snoke, Domhnall Gleeson as General Hux, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Mac von Zidow as Law Santeca, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, Gwendolyn Christie as Captain uh, Phasma. So loads oh, of people. And Lupita Nyong'o has Maz Kanata. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. Lots of people, lots of returning people, loads of returning people, and lots of new people too. Harrison Ford got paid $25 million to come back to this. When for the original one, he had been paid, how was it, $10,000 to be in the first film. So I, oh, my gosh. Good step up now. That's pretty amazing. But I think the wow. most surprising one here is definitely Mark Hamill, who originally had a much bigger part in this movie, and they cut him out because they thought there was going to be too many characters. He got paid $1 million to come on screen for what summarizes this under a minute of footage where he doesn't even say a single word. But yeah, we'll, we'll be getting to that. Potentially, maybe the most anyone's been paid for the amount of screen time. I'm not sure, but who knows? Yeah, but he should. I mean, look how much the movie made, you know? It's true. It's insane. Yeah, that's it. A million out of what? Two billion, four billion dollars. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Chump change. It's like I'll take it yeah. in points. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Uh, other directors were considered for this. David Fincher was originally considered to direct this. It didn't Ooh. happen. But the big ones was Brad Bird and Matthew Vaughn, who both reportedly turned down the chance to direct. Yeah, Vaughn was entering negotiations and he actually came out of his role from X-Men Days of Future Past in order to helm this movie. But he eventually declined because he was already having creative differences with people. Not to point any fingers at Kathleen Kennedy, but I'm going to be returning to her a few times over the next few films. Yeah, and reportedly he had disputes over the level of violence in the film and the casting of the female lead, apparently. Brad Bird, I don't think that she was female, I think the casting of the female lead. Yeah. The lead. Yeah. Brad Bird, he had more of an interesting thing because he had actually committed to Tomorrowland. Does anyone remember this film that was not in our top 20 list? George Clooney. This this was another Disney film, right? Yeah, Disney, based on the Disney ride. It was going to be their new Pirates of the Caribbean kind of franchise based on Tomorrowland with George Clooney. The girl oh, who picks yeah. up the badge and then she's in a different place and stuff. Yeah, Brit something, right? Yeah, the lady, you mean? But yeah, Brad Bird, he had already signed on to that and he was really committed to Tomorrowland. He wanted to do this and this is actually how Colin Trevorrow ended up directing Jurassic World. Just a fun little fact. Brad Bird met Colin Trevorrow at a festival for Colin Trevorrow's first little film, which is called Safety Not Guaranteed, made for under a million dollars. Really cool little weird indie sci-fi comedy film. And he really, really loved this film, really, really loved him. They kept talking. And then when Brad Bird was considering doing this film, he told Disney, I won't have time to do it, do all the prep on it. I can come and direct it. So I want you to use this boy, Colin Trevorrow. He will be like the director in prepping it for me. And then I'll just walk in and direct it. They didn't end up doing any of that. But through that, Disney then got Colin Trevorrow's name on their list. Because everyone was like, who the fuck is this guy? He's a director who's only made one film. No one knew who he was. And because of that, they then started looking at him for Jurassic World. And he got to make Jurassic World bec- simply because of that conversation through Bad Bird and, and Tomorrowland. Sadly, Tomorrowland did not make money and did not become a franchise and was not critically loved. So Brad Bird's probably kicking himself a bit that he didn't do Star Wars 7. But it would have been a very different And then film. Colin Trevorrow was obviously then attached to episode nine yes we will get to that colin trevor was then attached to one of the stars films and that didn't pan out either lots of not panning out is what we're going to be hearing over the next few episodes yeah mark hamill also claimed that George lucas nonchalantly told him over a lunch that it was going to be a new star wars trilogy and if he didn't want to be involved then they'll just write luke skywalker out of the script because they weren't going to recast him uh, hamill immediately agreed to reprise the role but he admitted later that he had pretended also to be very nonchalant about it because um, he didn't want to seem too excited but he was over the fucking moon um, and within five seconds carrie fisher exclaimed that she would do it as well everybody lost tons of weight and went into training for this as well like they all wanted to look their best if they were going to return and there's some other facts we'll sprinkle them through as we get there uh, we should really just get into the meat of the film because it's a long film Let's try and get through it as briskly as we can while covering do uh, my best. all of the stuff we want to talk about. Big absence right okay. from the top, Alex, if you're going to lead us through. Yeah, so this time around is the first film where we don't have the uh, 20th Century Fox fanfare intro into the Lucasfilm shiny logo into the opening Star Wars burst. We just start with the Lucasfilm logo. Sad and days. in a galaxy a long, a long time, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, Star Wars theme starts. We get the the, the big title. I was, I think people clapped when I saw this at the at the cinema. People were already, oh, yeah. cheering, super pumped. Episode seven, The Force Awakens. 
Now we talked about in the previous episodes, uh, in the in the prequels particularly. Well, no, not particularly. In the prequels, the crawls tended to be very narrative and political, politically heavy, like trying to describe the political turmoil within the galaxy, and they weren't kind of as engaging as the original crawls had been. This one, I think, starts off like. It's awesome. It starts off with Luke Skywalker has vanished. No sort of explanation, no sense of like catching up. It's like, this is where the story's at. He's disappeared. And that in his absence, the First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire. And they're not going to rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, it says in there, has been destroyed. And we find out that with support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. And she's desperate to find Luke and help him restore peace and justice to the galaxy and that she sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. See, Feelings like, on the crawl. Well, yeah, like, for starters, like you say, like immediately more interesting than some of the others. You've, you've actually read it out this time. Some of the others we didn't need to, because it's kind of like blah, blah, blah. It felt like production notes on some of the others. But yeah, you put some emphasis in there on something, which we're going to get to later when we get to the last podcast and well for now the last podcast of this series which is the last jedi i don't know if you uh, you probably don't know this christina but when they reveal the name of a new star wars film it's a big deal Um, Mm. and people go crazy for it when they revealed the one that we're going to be seeing next week which was the last jedi everyone went crazy for it because then there's all this everyone online and star wars fans in this huge like hustle and bustle about who the fuck who are they talking about who is the last jedi oh my god this Mm -hmm. is a huge clue to be dropping like what's going they literally tell you in this film in the opening, it's like you, the people were considering themselves Star Wars fans, but they hadn't bothered to really o- read the opening crawl of The Force Awakens, where they literally just tell you Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi. And, oh, and we spoke about it. Yeah, I see. We spoke about it in the um, Return of the Jedi podcast. Yes. Where Yoda tells Luke he will be the last Jedi. Yeah. And it, it's, it was so funny seeing how angry people were getting about this. And the director had to come out uh, of the new one. And and just say, well, it's it's Luke, <laughs> and then everyone was like, oh, spoilers, spoilers, you're ruining the film. <laughs> it's like from '83, they've been telling you <laughs> who the fuck the last Jedi is. <laughs> Pay attention. Oh yeah, yeah, I thought the scroll was great too. I thought it was good and to the point, which is how yeah. it should be. Spot- it really brings us. It, it really what draws out? us back into back into the story and the characters that we already yeah. know and that are established, like uh, mm-hmm. Leia and then now she's General Leia and, and Luke. thought it just like draws you in right away. Yeah, well, I'm going to come right in here off the bat and, and say immediately for the beginning of this movie, there is better storytelling going on. Whether or not Way we better. enjoy it more or not than the other films, I think this is the best storytelling at the beginning of this movie to the first movie in terms of how they're introducing mm-hmm. characters, how we're getting on board with really a complicated setup and they're feeding us the right balance of, okay, here's the old, here's the new. You can feel comfortable, but excited and a little bit mysterious. And we've fed stuff well straight away through this cruel. The only thing I was going to say is we've got some of the opening music in here right at the beginning when the Star Wars logo comes in. It's much sparklier than it used to be. There's a lot more little bells going on and trebly things happening. I, I did kind of miss the base, oh, that's the basiness of the <laughs> original one because we should mention we do have John Williams back. This is his, I think it's his fiftieth Oscar-nominated score or something like that, something ridiculous. Wow, like that. yeah, I can't remember. 
Yeah, that's interesting you noticed that because for me, I was just so pumped. Even watching it again the other day, I was just so, just pumped. So pumped. Yeah, no, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm very excited. (laughs) So after the crawl, we have the classic scroll down to the planet, Jakku, which from above looks very much like Tatooine. And I Mm -hmm. think leading into some of the trailers before some of the press releases of what this planet was, I think many people did think it was Tatooine because it was another desert planet. It um, is. We see a, a, a what very much looks like a star destroyer hover over the planet and then suddenly we cut to the inside of it where there's flashes of these new stormtroopers all lined up. And I think this reveal for me is just really clever and really awesome in that it like flashes from from black to light and you see sort of glimpses of this new shape of the helmet. Yeah, awesome reveal. I don't know about you guys. I love it. No, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) I actually noticed it this time, you know, and the shadows, it was like very like mysterious, dark and moody. It was great. This is cool. And another thing you immediately realize is that they're on a physical... Yeah. In a physical built set. It's <laughs> yes. not green screen. They're reacting to real things. And, yeah. And and they're not CGI. Yeah. You know, they actually yeah. sure. they oh did God, build some armor so for this good. film, unlike previous films. Um But this is exciting. I'm excited. I'm really excited to talk about this film for a couple of reasons. And one is because, like you said, Christina, this is the only one you had seen before you started on this podcast properly anyway. Mm -hmm. And now you're coming to it, obviously, with a whole host of like knowledge about what happened before. So hopefully this film would have meant something different to you on this view. And and Alex, I remember when you first saw it, you're all excited like all of us were. And then I seem to remember on some of the podcasts, like a regular show, there were definitely hints of conversations with you that you were diffused in your excitement for Force Awakens as time like went on. So I have no idea where you're going to go with this. But yeah, th- at yep. this point, I'm really... I love I love the Stormtroopers introduced like this. I love that you're getting immediately, look, this physicality, but also the editing's very modern. And they're trying to go, look, we just gave you the old. We're still doing that pan down. Here's these designs. We've revamped them a little bit. But the editing's immediately like, cool, but we're still going to be flashier now. We can do cooler things now that we couldn't do before. Uh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. It was actually, even though I did see this before, it was like watching a completely different movie that I've never seen before because, because I'm, you know, because of all, because I've seen all the other ones. So it was really, actually really fun to see this movie again. I noticed, I mean, I noticed so many, I mean, everything had meaning to it. Things made sense. For me, (laughs) noticed so many more things, things made sense. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to see it again. Yeah, so after that point, we drop down onto the planet of Jakku where a little droid, a new droid ball <laughs> called BB-8. BB-8! Who I love you, we BB-8. had already seen in some of the trailers. He's looking up towards the sky and then we get a sense that he realizes what's happening and that these First Order stormtroopers are descending on the planet and he dashes off towards the village. At this point, we cut to inside a little hut where an older man hands Oscar Isaac a pouch and says that it will, this will help put things right. Um, and he says that without the Jedi, there can be no balance. Now, immediately for me, we talked a lot about, and I was talking about this with my housemate Carter, and we talked a lot about in the prequels about the universe contracting, I think is how you described it, Alan, and sort of George Lucas attempting to, to bridge all these gaps between the, the the original trilogy and these prequels, but as a consequence, contracting the universe. For me, like off, right off the get-go here, 
it's expanding again because he's like creating these backstories without needing to like give us definitive answers of like who these people are, how this man is connected. Is he a Jedi? Does he have force powers? It's just like throws in these little clues of backstory, which I immediately just like, that's awesome. Like it's, 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 it's expanding out again and there's all this stuff that I want to find out, but that's, that's why I, I love it. So anyway, that was my reaction to that. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, it's like, yeah, like we were saying, the opening crawl is mentioning characters that we know. So you, re- you know that they still exist, which gives us a good sort of, you know, bridge immediately into this, but then we're thrown into new characters. And what's reassuring about it, we will get to when or if that becomes detrimental at any point. But it is literally, this film is following the blueprint of A New Hope. You know, yeah, we're opening with a message being passed that needs to get back to somebody else to help with the Alliance. We have the baddies hot on the heels immediately. A battle's taking place. The message just gets out of their grasp straight away. It's beat for beat exactly what A New Hope did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are great breakdowns on the internet. We shouldn't go into all of it. It will get boring. But if you, if you want it, go and look online. There are great timeline breakdowns, which really show almost scene by scene how they really were just scared. You know, they wanted to bring back that old audience. They wanted to make sure it was reassuring enough. So they just took that blueprint from the first one and injected new characters into that. I think it then becomes masterful how you balance that, you know? And at this point, as we come in, yeah, like I said, you've got new characters. I don't mind. It feels reassuring. I haven't really noticed yet that we're following that blueprint. And it just, yeah, it, it, it feels exciting and new. And we're in a different era of Star Wars, which I think is crucial. We're 30 years on from where we left off with Return of the Jedi, which, yeah, is, is so good to be in a new era and have new designs, but still feel tied to everything that happened before. Yeah, so as you said, the stormtroopers then raid the village. Poe and BBA try to escape to their X-wing. Looks a little different to the X-wings that we'd seen previously. I mean, it looks almost exactly the same, but it has a blue stripe instead of a red stripe. <laughs> Which apparently is what they originally wow. wanted, but they couldn't. They couldn't green screen out or blue screen out the blue stripe in the old days because it was too close. So that's why they painted them red. Yeah. If you if you go into some of the like star wars wiki pages you'll find that it is actually a different model of x-wing but you know you can do that in your own time <laughs> so, everybody's in their own pose, time <laughs> yeah. um, pose x-wing is damaged by the troopers so he as you said gives the the little usb key <laughs> pouch thing to bb8 and says take this with you escape it'll be safer with you and he tries to fight off the stormtroopers so at this point the stormtroopers just raid the village they shoot everyone burn everything and at one point we suddenly see a stormtrooper hovering over one of his fallen comrades who reaches up to him and i think this is the first time we ever see anything like this in any of the star wars films he smears his bloody hand across the stormtrooper's helmet and we get this bloody handprint and i don't remember ever seeing blood in any of the other films other than when like maybe anakin burns and like maybe slices, but even when like people get sliced with a lightsaber, it's always very yeah. I don't clean. think human blood. I don't think yeah, red blood. no. Yeah. Mm-mm. And so the stormtrooper gets this bloody smear, and he freaks out. And then we see a ship land, and this is when we first see Kylo Ren. He comes out of his ship. The old man that was speaking to Poe Dameron is captured, and this is again where we get lots of kind of backstory because the the old man recognizes. Uh, Kylo Ren and and says that he knew him before he became Kylo Ren and that he can't deny who his family is. And Kylo says, you're right, and ignites his lightsaber. 
And this is a new lightsaber. We've seen it in the trailers, but it has, uh, although I think they had it in some of the Clone Wars stuff. It's got the two little Hilt. handles down the bottom. Hilts, that's it. Mm, it's not mm-hmm. a clean completely useless it's not a clean to have hilts yeah completely useless it's not a clean blade it's all kind of sparkly and bits are kind of shooting off it i remember reading the reason why it had the hilts was because his knowledge in the dark side in building that lightsaber wasn't as advanced and therefore he couldn't contain and control the energy of the lightsaber so the hilts were put into like oh uh, let's throw cool. out some of that uh, that excess energy oh uh, that's cool um, he kills the old man and then they catch Poe and Poe is immediately brought before Kylo. This bit, I laughed out loud in the cinema and I and was like, yes, this is awesome. I love it. And Poe Dameron's put before Kylo Ren who just stares at him and he says the line, so who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? And it's just like- It's, like it's very hard to understand you with all of this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They take him away. A new stormtrooper captain, Captain Phasma, comes out. And she's ordered by Kylo Ren to kill all the villagers. And then one stormtrooper, Bloodface, struggles to do so. And Kylo Ren senses this and stares at him and then walks off. Okay. All right. Let's. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to unpack in there quickly. So, like, yeah, first of all, I love the BB 8 has the perfect USB drive size drawer in his. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Which is great. Man, yeah, I mean, great storytelling again. Simple. Kind of cheesy in a way, but great storytelling with the bloody hand on the mask. So it's like, cool, we can see who this is. Really cool to suddenly having a switch sides. I remember in the, in the cinema, like just how cool that moment was the first time of, oh, wow, we're getting to see something from a stormtrooper's point of view, which has never happened before. Because again, like we've always, we've had it not just insinuated, but kind of like hammered home that the stormtroopers were an extension of clones at one point. So it was confusing whether they were even human or not for a long time. So it's kind of cool to see mm-hmm. those moments happen. And then you have Kylo fucking Ren. So I remember when we did The Phantom Menace, pretty pissy most of the way through that podcast, but whenever Darth Maul walks out, I get all excited. Kylo Ren, I still feel watching it now the same way I did the first time I saw it. He walks off that ship and he is, for me, by far the best design, the best physical acting, and the best voice of any of the Star Wars villains. Like, he's just, he walks out there and I'm scared of him and in awe of him. I want to be him and run away from him at equal measures. And he's just so mm-hmm. fucking cool. And mm-hmm. yeah, then we get a scene with lots of exposition where we get, yeah, the dark side. And you, you're, you're like, you went to the dark side, but you're not naturally meant to be there and all this stuff. Like, they really are spoon feeding us quite a lot of stuff, but it's fine. And then he freezes that fucking laser in midair for the entire yeah. duration of their conversation when he's talking to Poe. And it's just like hovering. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Now, the way, the place I am, and I'm interested where Christina comes down with this, because the place where I'm going to differ with you is I remember the first time I watched it, I was all over these jokes that Poe's giving in this scene. I loved it. Because Guardians had just come out shortly beforehand. And everyone was like, well, Guardians is much closer to the feel of the original Star Wars than the prequels were. So which way is this film going to go? Is it going to go, you know, more serious or is it going to go more funny? And these are these are Guardians lines. Like this is such a Chris Pratt mm-hmm. like Star Lord feel that he gives here. And I don't think it fits this scene anymore. I really don't. I think later on it's good that this humor. I don't feel here it's kind of appropriate. Like a lot of people have just died around him. Kylo Ren, I genuinely think is terrifying. And he's belittling him. And I kind of don't like it anymore, I'll be honest. Interesting. Are you enjoying the humor, Christina? Hmm. You enjoying Kylo? 
Yeah, I was. <laughs> I mean, just this beginning, everything already, you know, so far makes sense. There's nothing that's like throwing me off. And it's entertaining so far. So I was like, I didn't have any complaints yet. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, it's a weird. Well, I, that's just, you know, I'm just trying not to give it away. I didn't used to have that complaint, but I do now. Like for me now, this is a movie that I'm yeah. watching. And like there are bits I would like to edit out because I do feel it's a bit long, this film. And there are little bits now. And this, me- this is one of them for me. See, no, I didn't even feel like it was too long. I mean, the uh, the prequels, whoa, those were way too long for me. But this, like, it was actually enjoyable. So I wasn't minding how long it was. It didn't, you know, it didn't strike me. But maybe if I watched it again, like you have, mm-hmm. like, well, you've you seen know, it with twice this mindset. Maybe, I know, but the first time, you know, that doesn't really count. Yeah, was, you're drunk at the time. You know, yeah. Yeah, I was drunk, for sure. <laughs> when you say he dragged you in, you were blacked out over his shoulder and he just dropped you on a seat. Yeah, You, you happened exactly. to be there as he watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, but then we get Ray. We get introduced to our second main character. Not quite yet. First what? we go back aboard the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the, the, the bloody Alex is helmet. Uh, he's very detailed, this Alex. <laughs> yeah. The bloody stormtrooper is freaking out and he takes off his helmet. And that's when we first see John Boyega and Captain Phasma comes in and addresses him as FN2187 and scolds him for taking off his helmet without permission and says that he's going to he needs to go somewhere to be evaluated. Yeah, and then we go cut to Ray. We cut back to we see a masked Ray uh, scavenging in what is revealed to be a, a crashed star destroyer. And I love this moment. I remember loving it in the the trailers and I loved it here because it's just very silent and solitary and we're just with her and it's in this massive structure and it's cool i don't know i just thought it was really really cool oh it's um, brilliant it's brilliant it's brilliant having it's, like we're getting yeah. back to that dirtiness we all didn't like i don't think in the prequels how new and clean everything's felt the whole time and cgi obviously and here they're embracing no when you're going to get the character into the world there's history everywhere and the history just happens to be history that we've mostly you know seen nods to at least if not exact moments from in the previous films and i also really like that all of these characters like we're getting poe sorry not poe but we're getting um fucking out ray finn and kylo ren are all introduced with masks to begin with which is quite a bold way to introduce Mm -hmm. characters you know Mm -hmm. you're getting to kind of it's hard to attach to people without seeing their eyes i think that's really cool I like that they do that here with Ray, and I love her getup. Apparently, it's based on an original design they so had good. for Luke back when Luke was going to be a girl at one point in the original A New Hope, and this was like the rough design they had for that. So. It's so it was perfect. Yeah, I didn't even think of the mask thing. That's really awesome. Yeah, I didn't either. Know, it's very much like here or out, and I guess even if you include Poe, but not in the masking sense, but like it's pretty much like these are our new trilogy characters. Like, here they are, but yeah, you're not going to see them right away. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, so Bray is scavenging. She she loads her speeder up and then just goes zooming across the desert. And we get this beautiful wide shot of her, like, zooming across and a star destroyer just, like, half buried uh, in the sand. We also zoom past a bird pecking, and it's like a puppet bird. <laughs> so you Love immediately yeah. kind of get a feel of, like, the original trilogies because... We're seeing something sort of physical and tangible and puppety, <laughs> which is great. I like was trying to figure that out if what what it was. So it was a puppet. 
I see. Yeah, there's loads of weird little nods like that all the way through this. And I love it. I love it. They made a big point in pre-production, I remember saying, no, we're bringing back physical, you know, puppetry and stuff. And they do it great. For the most part, there's a couple of places where I wish they'd done more of that. But there's so many creatures. and, and, And I think the designs will work in this one. I don't know about you guys. But there are times in the other ones where backgrounds, you know, we're pointing out, oh, there's just an astronaut walking by or something, just like a person with antennae on the head. But in this, I feel every design fits the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we get to Nima Outpost and Ray is cleaning the parts she's scavenged. scavenged. Again, real sets, real locations, real puppets mixed with CGI. Like it's so well blended. And the walking trash box is back. Yep, your favorite, the walking trash box. What does he do? We still don't know. Hey, man, he's going somewhere. Uh, He's got places to be. He's been on that journey now for over 30 years. (laughs) Uh, Ray gives her scavenge parts to a man in in the Nemo Outpost, this big alien called Unka Plutt, who's played by Simon Pegg, which I think is important to note. He was also in Star Trek. Trek. He was, he was. So JJ Hmm. brought him over. I think that's all he's done. Uh, so I'm a fake, nothing else. Yeah, nothing, else no. nothing else. And then we get to see Ray. She's given a quarter portion of whatever this is, like food, I guess. Cat sick. Yeah. And we see Ray return to her home in her little quarters. We see a tiny rebel pilot doll and she scratches on the wall, like how many days she's been there. And it's a whole list of days. We um, presume that, but it could be anything. P- it could be how many days she's been without a drink. Like she might be a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. We don't know. Yep. It could be anything. Who am I to assume? So funny, Al. So funny. It's just you can watch this film with very different interpretations. It's fun. (laughs) She uses the quarter portion and pours bread on it. Now, this, correct me if I'm wrong here, Al, was not CGI. It's real. Oh, my God. Really? That's why it looks so good? Yeah, she pours bread on the quarter portion, which suddenly puffs up water onto the quarter portion. No, she doesn't pour bread. bread. She, yeah, pours she pours water, water onto the onto sprinkles. The powder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the it's powder. a real thing. <laughs> I'm presuming I haven't done enough research. That's I remember so seeing cool. it making of at the time. I don't know if they speed up the film at all with it, but it does genuinely do what it's doing. Yeah, there were loads of cool practical things they did for real, like BB-8, we should mention right now. People saw the trailers and, and everyone was like, how the fuck did they do this? Because he looks real. He was real. For nearly everything in this film, he's a real prop that they're working with. And this whole great mechanic to do with magnets inside him so that his head is independent from the the body. It's fantastic. The tech that they're working with here is so, so cool. So good. Love it. So then she's eating and dreaming outside her, her quarters, which are then revealed to be an old Atat, which is uh, crashed. And she has, a, she has a rebel pilot helmet. She puts it on and sort of is daydreaming, looking up to the sky, when she suddenly hears BB-8, who's getting dragged away by another scavenger. Um, but Ray rescues him. And again, in a nod to A New Hope, when when Luke is kind of repairing the droids, she mm-hmm. notices antenna, antenna is a little dinky and she pulls it off and fixes it up. And then he tells her again in another nod to A New Hope uh, that he's on a secret mission. And she says, so am I. And then gives him directions <laughs> is to she the Nima outpost. <laughs> no. Is she on is a she? secret mission? I thought she was being sarcastic. She's waiting for her parents, as we're going to find out in She's a bit. She's waiting. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought that was I thought it was a joke. It wasn't. I don't she think so. Serious. I think she thinks she's on like a serious like what she's doing because she's very very regimented yeah. about. It. She has to be there waiting. I think she takes it very seriously. But I don't know mm. if it's a secret mission. That's like well, it's been given to you by someone as a task. Uh, so unless they reveal something in the next two films, which could happen, 
that she was given the task to wait for her parents. And I don't, I don't feel she was at a secret mission. Yeah. But let's, all right, let's get into right now. Daisy Ridley. The real, I mean, there's lots of new characters here, lots of new stars. She is the star of this film. She's the Luke Skywalker of this film. How do you guys feel about, you know, it's our first time having a female lead in a Star Wars film. That's a recurring thing. I loved her. I thought she was great. I couldn't imagine anybody else. I was super stoked. It was great. So she, was, she was great. I think she was twenty. She kind of reminds me of Kira Knightley. Does yes. she? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's, that's what I have in my notes. There's a lot of moments that I was like, "Whoa, Kira Knightley." Yeah, that's exactly who I um, have as a reference in my notes. Is Kira Knightley for sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she definitely looks like Kira Knightley. I'm immediately. Yeah, I find it incredibly charismatic on screen. I yeah. Think she she plays the moments really well doesn't overplay mm-hmm. them and like oversell them i find in this start like like it doesn't feel too forced that she's desperate on on the island uh, on the planet and trying to get out like you said she's just playing it very kind of the character having this sort of routine and regimen and just I believable don't know, she, she was really believable. believable a fun do i feel she's the main character at this point no because it was interesting coming into the the trailers. You know, we see the, in the teaser one it opens up with Finn. Mm-hmm, yeah, like, I thought it was going to be one Finn of the trailers. Too. Finn also has this. Mm-hmm. There's clips in the trailers with Finn with with the lightsaber, and I think these were like deliberate kind of red herrings of like who is going to be the Force mm-hmm. user in these films, who's going to be the Jedi in waiting. So at this point, for me, it was like okay, they're introducing the ensemble. I'm thinking Finn's going to be the Jedi and, and Ray's going to, yeah, be involved in the story, be one of the main characters, but but, but not. Well, yeah, she's kind of this weird mix between Han Solo as well, isn't she? Because we're going to see later, yeah, she's mm-hmm. got, she's got yeah. that tech side of her and that roguishness to her as well. She's a lot sassier than Luke, you yeah. see. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with both of you. I'm loving her in this opening section when she doesn't talk. I think she's got a very right. enigmatic face and she mm-hmm. can express things well with her actions. Obviously, she's very beautiful, but she's beautiful in this kind of very... There's something, you know, like, she, I don't know, she can convey stuff well without needing to say anything. And then as soon as she starts talking, <laughs> I remember I had the same experience the first time I saw the film. I was like, ah, that's a shame. I don't know, like, uh, but to be honest, <laughs> it's a pretty much exactly how I felt about Luke in the first one. I was like, Luke, as soon as he starts talking, I'm like, he's not the, no he's not the best. I'm like, he's all right. And I feel exactly the same way about No her. way. I don't think no, she's great. No. I think... <laughs> I think she's not no way. experienced enough. And she reminds me exactly of Kira Knightley. I had it written down, but for yeah. all the same reasons. Kira Knightley, eh, not great, and particularly in her early roles. But there's something, there's a star quality there, you know? Like they, mm-hmm. they hold the screen without saying anything. Uh, whether they can act is a different thing. And that's how I feel about Daisy Ridley at this point. It's like she's holding the screen great. I think she can act at this age better than Kira Knightley could act at this age. But she's. An, an immediate weak link for me with the film. Oh my God, I thought she was great. So I, funny. I think she's okay and just good enough to not put me off the movie. But yeah. But I, she was so much more likable than Luke though. Yeah, no, her character is more likable than Luke. For sure. He's a whiny brat. I mean, you only find I out. I want to go to the Academy this year. <laughs> exactly. And you only find out his <laughs> backstory old, later. How old is she? she or was, was she at she that She was 21 time? when she shot this. Wow. 21 yeah. to 22. Mm-hmm. The character's meant to be 19. And this is really the first, this was the first American thing she did. Before this, she was on a lot of UK TV. She'd been on Silent Witness and stuff. And 
as a dead naked body like literally the year before this is very strange good for her yeah no it's like fantastic but she's um yeah yeah i mean we'll get into it i have a bit of like a back of and forth for certain elements of her but i love her character and i love her screen presence i don't think her acting is great and uh, i've read like it breaks my heart because she seems like a lovely lovely person i was watching an interview with her where she was saying she went away crying after the first day because jj abrams came out and told her her acting was wooden oh no and she really wanted to do the best she wanted to like live up to this opportunity obviously coming from basically nothing coming from england into star wars the lead and it really upset her that director thought that she was wooden i agree with him i've never even heard that before though wooden wooden yeah when you're just like like, a piece of wood yeah you're not giving anything yeah when it's just like you're rigid Mm. uh, basically yeah that's sad i I would have if i was directing i would have been a little bit more delicate with it and just been like (laughs) daisy look great first day at the moment you're leaning more towards hayden christensen let's (laughs) let's let's bring that back a bit (laughs) so uh here's harrison ford on set just uh, hang out with him for a bit learn how to relax (laughs) did they have an acting coach on set no idea no idea Uh, i mean they must have done stuff with her because she, she's using her accent. She's using the English accent here, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah. Because predominantly in Star Wars films, the baddies are English. And oh boy, there are a lot of English baddies in this one, including even like the yeah, other characters we'll get to. But John uh, Boyega, he's English as well. And he was originally trying his English accent on set and before him and the director decided, no, he should go more American. So he added in that twang later on. Wait, who's that? Uh, Finn, Finn or Poe? Finn, Finn, yeah. yeah. Finn? Oh, he's English too? Mm-hmm. <gasps> <laughs> he did it he did a really good american accent uh, yeah we haven't had much of him yet but i can definitely spoil things in my opinion now and so i think john bioga is fantastic in this movie i think he yeah he oh, gives I loved everything him. There so good little bits really. of performances from him that are spectacular like genuinely and i hadn't noticed from my first few viewings come back to now of like little things he does where it's like that is really you're lost in that moment mm. and it's fantastic totally agree yeah, he totally was great agree. Okay, so moving on from from Ray and BB-8's first encounter, uh, we cut back to Poe, who is in an interrogation torture chair. I love Poe too. Poe's awesome. Uh, po played by great. Oscar Isaac, who is American and he is, is doing finally. an American accent. <laughs> yeah, he's been give us some hope. And he's been tortured. Yeah, and at this point, he's being interrogated by Kylo Ren. So at this point, we get to see Kylo up close for the first time, get to really see the kind of details in his mask, which are really cool. And he uses the force to get Poe to confess where the plans are or where that little USB key is. Um, And (laughs) Poe tries his hardest to to not tell him, but then he force infiltrates his mind and Poe lets out a giant scream and we cut to... Uh, Kylo coming out of the interrogation room and meeting General Hux, played by Dom Hall Gleason, who is a general in the First Order and kind of mirrors, if we're going to go on A New Hope mirroring, he kind of mirrors their relationship, Kylo and General Hux, kind of mirrors Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin's he's my, he's my second disappointment because i'm a huge domino gleason fan i love domino gleason so much i think he's terrible in this movie just terrible like he's so over the top baddie british villain 
It just gets it pretty hairy doesn't work times. for me. Apparently, he was hired the day before table reads. Like he, there were quite a few people like that. Where oh wow, he went in for an audition. The next day, he got it, and the day after that, he was in table reads. Like, wow. So not not much time to develop a character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so he comes, yeah, so Kylo tells him that the droid is on Jakku and that, that he can go and get it, basically. Cut back down to Nima Outpost, where Unka plots offers Rey 60 portions for the droid that she's with. Cat's sake. BB-8. Um, she has a moment where she looks at BB-8 and decides, nope, he's not for sale, um, and wanders off, and Unka messages someone to follow the girl and get the droid. Cut back up to the Star Destroyer, where a stormtrooper comes into Poe's interrogation room and breaks him out, and it's revealed that it's Finn, and he says he's rescuing him because it's the right thing to do. But Poe is too clever, and he he says that Finn just needs a pilot, and he's like, yep, I do need a pilot to escape. So he gets Poe to a TIE fighter, which they can both sit in, which I guess I don't know if the old TIE fighters, Star Wars fans are probably get on me for not knowing this, but I always thought the original TIE Fighters were single seat things, where this one, it's like a dual seat. One sits at the front, one sits at the back. Good point. And they try to escape, but the fuel line's still attached and they can't release. And then there's this cool shootout in the in the TIE Fighter hangar as they're trying to detach from fuel line and they escape and then a big, and they try and shoot down all the cannons on the side. And Poe asks him what his name is and he says, it's FN, FN, blah, blah, blah. FN2187. And he's like, what? And so Poe's like, I'm going to call you Finn. Because FN sounds like Finn. Because we can't sell toys uh, with FN21. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they, they start taking out the cannons. General Hux realizes that uh, Poe has been helped by one of their own. And Kylo Ren is like, I know exactly who that is. That's FN2187. I saw him in the village. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, cool. He's been and posting the things shot on down. Facebook. Um, oh, no, first Poe reveals that they need to get back to Jakku to get the droid. And Finn's like, what? I'm not going back down there. Like, That's crazy. Were you an idiot? I'm not going down there. They get shot down. <laughs> crash on Jakku. General Hux is like, let's send a squad down there to the wreckage. We see Finn escape the wreckage and he tries to rescue Poe. Uh, but all he manages to grab is his cool leather jacket um, before the TIE fighter sinks in the <laughs> sand and explodes. <laughs> And then we follow Finn as he rips off his Stormtrooper gear to reveal a nice black Henley shirt and a nice pair of black trousers under that Stormtrooper gear. Yeah, so, uh, so this I, is... Sorry, sorry, just before you get too far ahead. Cause yeah. So th- this yeah. is like, yeah, this is the big turnaround here, isn't it, really? It's like, for me, like it could, it's been pretty somber as we've been introducing the characters and back history, getting us attached to people. I think they've done an expert job. Of getting me attached to Ray, getting me attached to Poe, getting me attached to Finn, and introducing Kylo Ren at the same time. And I'm interested by all of these people. And then really we're interjecting the comedy. This is for me where the comedy is right to come in. I don't think it was in that previous scene. I think it's great here. Once you get Poe and Finn together, yeah, that's that's the right place to do this comedy. Uh, to get more of the adventure kind of charisma injected into the movie. Because it's a balancing act. It doesn't get too Guardians-y, which it could do when they're tethered there. I'm, like, I'm very aware... In a George Lucas prequel era, this would be like, you remember that hangar CGI sequence and R2's lighting things on fire with his, you know, yeah. like this is where it could go way over the top and they just managed to tread the line, I feel, between the humor and the seriousness of the situation because I want to believe they're in danger, you know, we're trying to make Kylo Ren and Stormtroopers seem scary. But yeah, I, I love this vibe between both of them. And then when they crash and we think Poe's 
we think Poe's dead, which is when he crashes and you get the where well, you're about to get to like the sand sucking him under, uh, sucking his ship under. I have to say, like, I'm loving Poe, but Poe to me seems like what do you call it? When you have a character in in a story that's literally there to basically give someone a piece of you know information to then propel the story forward. Like he feels mm-hmm. he's so cool. <laughs> Poe is so fucking is. just cool and like. He looks like nothing ever goes wrong for him. He feels like a superhero from a 1940s or 50s comic, you know, from mm-hmm. that like golden age era of space travel. And like, he feels like a Buck Rogers kind of guy or even, yeah, or slightly a Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. Everything goes so well for him. And I, I was, I remember the first time I watched it, I was really happy because like, that's really cool. They set up so many characters. Poe's obviously awesome, but he's too infallible. He's too cool. I'm glad that they've killed him. Like, it was this thing of, like, <laughs> he's done... No, but he's done what he needed to do. Because if he continued, I can't be worried about him. He's too capable. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm very worried about Finn. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, a, I'm, yeah. I'm a little worried about Ray. And so I, at this point, I was like, that's that's so great. Like, they've done... They've been brave enough to kill off a character they've interested us in. But there's so many characters. I'm fine with that. And I think this was the right one to do. He's passed on the torch. And now these new kids who don't know what they're doing have to pick up that torch and continue on. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I didn't uh, think of that. It's really interesting, but I love him. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, I love him too. Well, I'm understanding it now because I'm going to be disappointed later on in this podcast when something happens. <laughs> so yeah, Finn escapes and starts wandering aimlessly through the desert. We cut to Kylo Ren and General Hux now having this kind of power play between them and where it also feeds back into a bit of backstory within the universe and kylo ren questions general hux's ability and the ability of his troops and he says that he might suggest to the supreme leader snoke who we don't know who that is yet but he says the supreme leader snoke uh, may be better with the clone army please no back to the prequels. please don't bring the clone yeah <laughs> no, please didn't we learn anything and they have this little power play finn arrives now in the nema outpost and he's desperate for water and he's going through the stalls um and he drinks <laughs> it's the pig nose he ends up drinking yeah, from this big nose animal that's at the waterhole. He ends up drinking from the waterhole. And he has a moment where he drinks his first sip and he's like, Whoa! but he's so thirsty, he goes back and has some more. This point, he notices Ray and she's being hassled by two people and starts getting attacked because they want the droid. Finn sees this and he runs over. But before he gets to a Ray, he's like completely in control of the situation and with her little stick, incapacitates the two guys. And BB-8 sees Finn and warns Ray, who then just chases after him and incapacitates him as well. And BB-8 recognizes that he's wearing Poe's jacket and that it doesn't belong to Finn. So Ray asks if Finn is with the resistance. And then this is like the first point where he he's sort of like kind of immediately enamored with Ray and he lies and says that he is he is part of the resistance. And basically then spits out some of the stuff that Poe had told him on their descent into Jakku and says that the droid has information about Luke Skywalker's whereabouts. And this is a really cool part, I thought, where Ray's like reacts to that. She's like, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was in a myth. Yeah, it only occurred to me on this viewing, both Ray and Finn kind of are written to be the people who are seeing this movie, which is very smart of them. Like, Finn is oh, essentially yeah. the new people. Like, the new kids who come mm-hmm. to see The Force Awakens. Like, well, look, I've heard of these characters. You can't not have, but I'm not attached to anything. Um, and he's like that all the way through it. They'll be mentioning stuff throughout this film. 
And he'll seem to know what they're talking about a little bit, but he's not excited by any of it. Whereas yeah. Ray is the old fans who, as soon as they mention this stuff, her eyes light up and she's like, oh, wow, all these legendary characters and legendary adventures. And I want to be a part of that again. And that's so exciting. And I hadn't noticed that until this viewing of like, it's very obviously we've got to cater for both demographics with our leads. And they do a great job of it. And I love the energy between them immediately because, yeah, like you say, like Finn sees her kick ass, basically. He does like the typical thing, particularly in this age and, you know, filmmaking and thinks he needs to go and save her. And then she doesn't need him to save her. And she's totally capable. And that enamors him to her. I'm loving it at this point. Throughout the rest of the scene, they then go on to do that about four times where she's constantly (laughs) like, stop holding my hand. And it's like, all right, I get it. You're an independent, capable woman. The first time was great. You don't need to keep hammering us over the head with it. Like they do it a bit too much for me in this scene where it works well now in our current climate. But I feel in 30 years time, you're going to watch this and go, that's kind of weird because we'll be used to females having lead roles and doing, you know, being capable. That pointing it out over and over again is feel a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. But that first moment, I think it's really cool. I was going to say, plus the pig nose creature has a huge butt, which I loved. It was great. <laughs> So then they suddenly see, well, after this kind of conversation, they, they notice stormtroopers arrive uh, who recognize the droid and, and the two, and Finn and Ray, and start chasing after them. Um, an airstrike is ordered. And this bit's really cool. TIE fighters descend on Nima outpost and just start bombing it, which I think looks really awesome. And I think there's a shot where you see their silhouette in the sun yeah. coming towards the outpost. So they try and run and they're like avoiding explosions and Finn gets kind of knocked to the ground and Ray picks him up and he's like, you okay? And I think that's like another moment you were talking about where he's just like, oh my God, she's she's okay and she's rescued me. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, are you okay? Uh, and she just looks at him like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and it's like just one of these like, yeah. is great. They're all great moments. Like, don't hold my hand is great. This moment's great. But it's like all of them, it's like, all right, we get it. Like she's capable. Yeah. It's fine. They try to get to a quad jumper, but it's blown up. And Finn's like, what about that over there? And Ray's like, no, that's garbage. But then when the cod jumper gets blown up, she's like, okay, the garbage will do. And they run to it and it's revealed to be the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Um, so Christina, we Christina that the before. first time you saw this, I'm guessing you didn't care or give a shit. No. Excited no. now? I was, uh, basically, I was like Finn the first time I watched it. There you go. And now watching it, I'm like Ray. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, they scramble onto the... Was this too much for you, Alex? Sorry, was this too much for you, like, the first time? Because, again, we're going to be talking about how much fan service they're giving. I think it's a good amount of fan service so far with the history of the world, you know, and those call-outs to the old battleships and the attack walkers and stuff. Having the Millennium Falcon just sitting there ready to go, is that too much for you or are you fine? Watching this last time, I was fine. Watching it the first time, I had kind of anticipated it through the trailers but i remember my sort of initial feeling was like well isn't that very convenient that Mm -hmm. it's there but then as we get through the film the way they kind of play that and the mystery of why ray's on the planet made me Mm -hmm. have a sense of like oh maybe this was all planned somehow connected in some way so yeah so i was quite accepting of it i guess i didn't feel too much for like a fan thing yeah I liked it. I mean, it was fun bringing it back. And would you have wanted it to be some other ship that they got on? No, no, no. I just think there's a certain amount. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just throwing it in the air because I just think there's a certain number of... There's only so many givens you can give them for 
yeah. tying everything from the, the old films into these new ones, you know? There's only so many lines it can kind of cross over with. At this point, I think I'm fine. That's one of the big ones for sure. But it's such a mm-hmm. cool moment yeah. that, yeah, would you want it yeah, any other so, way? So from here, we jump into the Millennium Falcon. Finn goes to the gun station and Ray flies it. And we have this awesome sequence where they're flying through the destroyed Star Destroyers being chased by these two TIE fighters. And I think, I guess this is like our first really, really big CGI moment too. But I, I loved it. I thought the timing and editing of this whole sequence was really, really cool. With kind of flashes of sort of the classic style of editing mixed with sort of newer, like a newer kind of dynamic action feel. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I Alex, really, really enjoyed it. You kind of look like Darth Vader right now. With those lines across your face, that hood. You got your hood up and everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's just, I mean, I, I don't know. Are we all agreed on this? Let's just say it right now. Like, this film is shot better than any we've seen before. Oh, my God. So much better. Like, this I is, agreed. This is doing stuff that you couldn't do before. I think if there's any fatigue from anything, it's purely because, sure, we've seen... The, we've seen star fights before. And I think the star fights were always one of the best looking things of the old, old films. But they definitely look better here. Yeah, and if we're tired of it, it's just because we've we've had a lot of star fights. But at this point, <laughs> we are eight films in. So yeah, there's not much new they can do, but it looks fantastic. For me, the stuff on foot is what really looks fantastic. You said it a little bit, Alex, when they're running for those market stalls. But there's a fantastic shot where the camera's tracking behind BB-8 and them running and stalls are blowing up and there's a great mm-hmm. practical and CGI elements happening. This film just, it looks fantastic. It really does. It, it looks really better. And, and none of the fights are too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, some of the other films, I'm like, oh my God, this fight is so boring and it's going off forever. When are you getting back to this the romance between like, Anakin and Pat? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had to find something to like cling on to in those you still movies. Still liked that middle one the most. I can't wait to get back to that in our wrap. <laughs> what middle one? The middle of the prequels. That's your favorite. I mean, just in the prequels. Well, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Not slim pickings, guys. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, Christina. The timing of like this sequence, I thought was just right. And yeah, they, did, they didn't the, overdo the it. Racing you know? sequence. Which I know you liked, Al, but for oh, me, God. the issue was that it was far too long, mm-hmm. even yeah. though there were some cool parts about it. Again, slim this for me, the timing, the timing and the editing of this was just really Perfect. slick and, and yeah. clean and dynamic. So the difference cool. for me, like, okay, to be fair, the, the pod race, the reason why it worked for me is because <laughs> all the music cuts out. So it's actually a release in right. a weird way. Yep. This is like bombastic, yep. bombastic. There, there isn't. I, I, I mm-hmm. yeah. I will say this. Like, I think the action in this film is better throughout. I uh, will get to the lightsaber fights later, but there isn't actually a cool director moment with the action scenes. There's not one that's done in like a single shot, which you could do now. There's not one done with something cool like that in the Padre scene of, even though I agree it's too long, but the music drops out for the majority of that, which makes you really have a different vibe suddenly. And yeah, I, I would like to see more of a director imprint on an action scene. Christina's smirking away. <laughs> 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 oh 
I can't wait until you get hired to direct one of those these things. <laughs> I will never. I think it's in your future one day. There's no way. There's no way. Even if I was ever lucky enough in a million years to be 2025, offered, maybe? Possibly. I honestly don't think I'd ever even say yes. Like they just I look at these films and it just makes me want to cry. You look at the headache of green screens and stuff and I'm just like, I couldn't. That's too much. Oh, come on. You do it. If they offered and, it to you in twenty twenty five, you'd do it. And, and you'd I mean, hire as, me and Alex, right? <laughs> yeah, as Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, we're going to remake the holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would do that. Oh, we should do that anyway. Let's just remake the holiday <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. So, yeah, after this big action sequence, they manage to destroy the TIE fighters and they get back into space. So, they have this moment after the chase where they um, are just really excited. And I found that point just really sweet and endearing because like you were saying al we've got finn and ray who we're kind of worried about we don't know if they can they're sort of they're being thrown into this adventure thrown into this story and so i found it very cool and endearing that they've had this moment and this one tiny little victory that's going to seem so insignificant as they embark on this big new adventure but they're just both so pumped about what they were both able to do Um, yeah because if i was cynical i would say we've got kids as our leads here whereas in the original we did have you know Han Solo was in his 30s sure Leia was young I guess Mark Hamill was in his mid-20s wasn't he or something like that so you know if I was being cynical I'd say all right most of I like it we're really with the young youngsters here but yeah we're about to get definitely oldsters as well which I feel will balance it out nicely yes yeah for sure it's a it's refreshing they, they bring like this young energy uh, spark to energy and what energy yeah and it, and it really was refreshing and exciting. Yeah, because we spoke about in the prequels about a sense of other other actors in this film having fun. And yeah. that was a constant recurring kind of theme of like, are like, they having what, fun? Are they enjoying yeah. what they're doing? And so in this true. you get that feeling. Everyone feel it feels like everyone yep. is excited to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. And he's really Which I think people, are, to be it. fair, like people like Ewan McGregor and people were very excited to do those originals. They weren't given the capacity for fun because of yeah. the, how the sets were, because of the green screen, blue screen, because of the direction. Like, yeah. Like, if they had been involved in this, I think they would have given more energy for sure. But for sure. Here we are. So then something on the Millennium Falcon blows up, and we quickly cut back <laughs> up to the Star Destroyer, where Kylo Red is given an update on the escape. But he says that they got away, the droid got away, and he pauses for a moment, and you almost expect a Vader-like force chokehold, but instead he lights his lightsaber. I love this so much. He lights his lightsaber, turns around, and just starts wailing and destroying (laughs) the control panel behind him in a very Skywalker-esque tantrum. Mm -hmm. Steep. I hate this moment. It just goes on for a few seconds because it's just like it goes for so long of him just like. I really love it. It's like absurd. Oh, I love it. And that's ridiculous. But I hate this moment because I love Kylo Ren and he's he's really frightening to me while also human, even though we haven't seen his face. You know, I feel there's a real person there and I think the acting's so good. And but he's terrifying me all the time in ways that Vader never did. Like even as a kid, like. Vader, when he's punishing someone and he sort of force chokes them and stuff, it's very polite and there's no like, but there's this this like, you're worried Kylo Ren could turn at any point. And here he does turn. Yeah. And instead he throws a tantrum. And it's a point where it's like, no, you should, Vader would have just killed this guy for giving him bad news. 
and I wanted to see Kylo Ren kill this guy. And it's only this time, particularly just in this lead up to The Last Jedi and people discussing the trailers with that and stuff, we like, well, are they trying to keep him sympathetic? Do you think? Like, are they trying to like keep it so you don't hate him too much? Because you are meant to be thinking, yeah. is he going to go light or dark? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I think I, that's it because that's. Yeah. Sorry, Christina, you go. No, yeah, I think that's it too because I did kind of like him. And then I did kind of not like him and I kind of liked him. It, it was very like, it was both, you know, it wasn't one or the other, which which is a lot more interesting and exciting. And I didn't know, I didn't know if he was going to go fully dark or light. Yeah. So they got me on yeah, that I really, They did good. I really liked that as well. And it kind of was like a flip on the original prequel of, of Luke training in the light, but is he going to go dark? And here was sort of the opposite of like, he's already in the, on the dark side, but is he... And I think the line is said later on, like, you know, is he going to be seduced by the light, which mm-hmm. is like a flip on. What yeah, I and like I mean, would I like it be would it be a Star Wars movie if there wasn't any if there wasn't any uh, brattiness or tantrums or. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, just, I just don't want it to come from our main villain. That's all. It's like I, I, I think the balancer is done well with him of being human and I would feel sympathetic with him. Like even just cutting that entire tantrum out. And he then does a cool fucking, a really cool force choke move on the guy, but just doesn't kill him. And he like brings him yeah. to his hand, you know, and that's imposing, but he's still not killing him. And then you get enough introspective moments with him later. For me, it's just like, I don't know. I don't want him to look silly. And Kylo Ren looks silly in this scene to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So as you said, he, he, after his tantrum, the guy tells him that they escaped with a girl and he's like, what? And he yeah, force brings a guy to him and chokes him, which looks a yeah, girl. Cool after he's, yeah. A girl. They said girl a lot in this. Like it was like very shocking to everybody that there was a girl. But that's what I mean. Already now, just two years later, it feels a little bit antiquated that they're putting that much. Look, we have a girl as our yeah. lead. It's already a yeah. bit old hat. Because it's like, well, yeah, all right. Whereas at the time, this was one of the first huge blockbusters to have a girl as a lead. Although, obviously, they had done really? it before. But this yeah. was like a big, like, it was quite a big deal. So that's my only worry is like how future-proof some of those elements will be. Mm-hmm. To kind of to, to highlight that too, there was some sections of fans that were like, a girl in a lead? That, that were like, obviously, these guys are knuckleheads, but were making comments about being pissed off that that the lead was played by a woman. Yeah, idiots. Uh, Sorry, they've uh, never seen a woman before, so you can't expect more from them. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll never, they'll never, yeah. And then we go back to the Millennium Falcon in one of my favorite scenes. Ray is trying to fix the ship, and while she's doing it, Finn reveals to BB-8 the truth that he isn't resistance, and he has this really cool exchange with BB-8 where it's like, if you tell her that I'm part of the resistance, I'll help you. So if you help me, I'll help you and we'll get back to the resistance. Wait, and, and then uh, is he- this when BB-8 does a little lighter <laughs> thumbs up thing? So cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so he agrees and does a little thumbs up and then Ray's like telling Finn which tools to get and he keeps grabbing the wrong one and she's like, that one, that one, that one. Yeah, and they have this cool little moment. Yeah, it's really they cool. They have I a love. lot of great back and forth. Mm-hmm. with yeah. those three characters do you ever see the chinese trailers for this movie alex they're all bb8 they just basically put in tons of bb8 because <laughs> it's so big for the chinese market <laughs> that's interesting yeah i don't know if i did that's cool do you think bb8 because um, I, I think r2d2 is definitely a boy do you think bb8 is more of a girl or do you think he's that's a boy i don't know yeah i was 
thinking of that when I was writing it. I, I mean, they're, they're obviously they're asexual, but I just feel very strongly RTD two is definitely a boy for some reason. Whereas BB eight felt a bit more boys. feminine to me, but I don't know. Yeah, what what about you, Christina? What do you think? If you, I didn't. I just felt like BB eight was a lot more innocent. So yeah, okay, okay. So just younger, to... basically, just more like yeah. So at the end of this exchange, the ship is suddenly captured by another ship, a massive freighter, which pulls it into its um, docking docking bay. And so they're trying to figure out what to do. And Finn suggests that they leak the gas while they hide to inca- incapacitate whoever's boarding. And so they they hide, and then we have the iconic moment, which Al mentioned before, which was in the second trailer, where Han, Solo, and Chewie board the ship, and they begin looking around. And we have the classic line of Chewie, we're home. And it just makes you go, oh my God. It's so good. And I no, kind of forgot how so throwaway good. it is in this film as well. There's no big music swell. It's actually very subtle music for it. It's just yeah. like, they don't over egg it too much. Love it. And you get the little roar from Chewie. <gasps> so yeah, cute. Yeah, that's it. It's just like, it's so just like, it's not overplayed. And it's, yeah, it's... easy, easy, simple and perfect. And it's great because yeah, in I context feel... for them, it hasn't actually been that long. It's like it's hard to put it together exactly, but how long the Millennium Falcon's been out of their hands hasn't been certainly not as long as, you know, the period of time that we've been away from it. And they play with that a few times with people's reunions and stuff where they haven't seen each other for mm-hmm. a while so we can get the same feeling as they get. But obviously it's not been as long as for them as it's been for us kind of thing. So Chewie and Han immediately find Finn and Ray hiding and Tan reveals that this is his ship and Ray's like it belonged to Ungar Plot and Ray's uh Hans and they reveal that Han reveals that Duquesne stole the ship from him and Ray's like Duquesne the so-and-so brothers got it off Duquesne and they sold it to Ungar Plot and that's again for me like one of those moments of I mean it does connect the dots but in a way that doesn't contract too much because it gives you these characters and names and places that we don't know anything about and so for me it kind of like expands it out yeah and they wouldn't have found the millennium falcon unless because them activating the millennium falcon essentially allowed it then to show up for them yeah because that was always the thing for me it's like well it's kind of it's too convenient that the millennium falcon's there and then it's too convenient immediately then how han solo and chewie find it when they've been looking for it for god knows Mm -hmm. how long we don't know how long it could have been years it could be months but i it's because they've activated it right it's because they're flying it now into space that it turns up as a beacon Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's mentioned later on. Like, someone mentions, oh, you know, if if it was that easy for you and Chewie to find it, yeah, then like the yeah, new, new order are going to mm-hmm. find it. Okay. Cool. So yeah, Ray then gets excited, and we have one of these moments again, which was like a throwback before to who Ray and Finn represent, where Ray gets really excited when she finds out that this ship is the Millennium Falcon, and. And I think Finn says something like, Solo, you were a general in the Resistance, right? And Ray again gets kind of buzzed there. This is the Millennium Falcon, and that's Han Solo. Like, these are part of these myths that she's that she's heard. And they reveal to, to Han that the droid has the location of Luke Skywalker. Suddenly there's a noise on the freighter, and Solo warns about the three Rathtars that they're transporting. And so they go up to inspect that, but just as another gang board the freighter and then we have a big standoff where a, a scottish guy talks about the kanja club wanting their money back from solo so immediately we also have han solo back in a kind of familiar role from a new hope he's clearly now a smuggler 
sort of scoundrelly type rather than the general of the rebellion that he finished uh, the original trilogy as. And he's great. Um, and they're saying that they- He's immediately great, yeah. can I just say. Like, he's immediately clearly not phoning this in. He really cares. And Harrison Ford, quite often, I find nowadays, is phoning stuff in. But he's mm-hmm. he just he's putting a lot into this. I think it's such a good component. Yeah, yeah, I thought like he was, was great uh, in this. Yeah, there were some bits, and I think we'll we'll get to it. Where I just thought, yeah, he genuinely cares, and like his acting reflects that, and it makes it so much more poignant and and believable. He grew his hair out. Yeah. It was cool, enjoyable. Movies, so, you know, that's when you know. <laughs> what? Yeah. So what they have this say? standoff, um, and then another gang arrives. And they say that Solo owes them money and he has a classic line of like, when have, I, when have I ever been late on payments or something like that? Which is the whole premise of the original trilogy in that he's late paying Jabba the Hutt. And, and they're like, this is the last time you've swindled anyone. Ray, who then is trying to help, accidentally switches a wrong fuse and releases the Rathtars, who are these big mouthed tentacled creatures. And then mayhem ensues as the Rathtars like go running through Freyda eating members of the rival gangs at one point finn's caught but ray rescues him by crushing the rathtar's tentacles in a in a blast door and we see chewy get shot in the action just showing his age he's getting on now chewy and han uses his crossbow which is really cool because we've never seen han use use or any other characters use the crossbow i don't think i think this is this is the only scene in the film that i've got written down as only exists to tick that box that you have to have in a blockbuster where every 12 minutes some action happens because mm-hmm. there's everything else in this film there's a narrative purpose for everything in this i think the only narrative purpose i could find is it gets them on a millennium falcon again rather than in their big ship because there's no need for any of this stuff really it's just fun it's very guardians of the galaxy this bit i find for those monsters which are which look great like it's it's they're a whole bunch of fun but but they're not exactly there's no narrative pushed forward here at all yeah and i find with this film and i guess i'll get it into a more towards the end is that there are very like there are a lot of beats that echo a new hope but there's fewer moments where this film breathes i think yeah but i'll get into that so yeah anyway they get back on the millennium falcon ray offers to co-pilot while finn helps chewy bandage up his wound very awkwardly um, as chewy growls at him and then these are the moments also where we start seeing Rey have moments that really reflect Han Solo in her kind of knowledge of of ships and flying and how to operate them. And they kind of start finishing each other's sentences, which kind of gives Harrison Ford to do one of his sort of classic baffled kind of faces, expressions yeah. at one point. Yeah, he's good at that. <laughs> yeah. And then we move back to where we see the supreme leader for the first time. And he's sitting on this giant throne, and it's a giant disfigured man. Um, what did general- you guys think of the Supreme Leader? I think it looks like he's out of a Marvel film, and I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, that's a Alex? really good point. Yeah, so at this point, you know, like in the originals and even in the prequels, when when there was a holographic message being played, it, the the image itself was always quite scratchy, and you could tell. For me, I didn't initially could tell when i first watched this i was like who is this giant how are they going to incorporate this giant yeah like marvel-esque type cgi villain and is he that giant uh, though that's the thing but i don't know i don't think he is 
but the point is I didn't realize it was a holographic message until the end of this sequence. So Ren mm-hmm. and Hux have a conversation with Snoke mm-hmm. who warns that Skywalker must not return. Uh, wait, Hux wait, says, wait, wait, I want to know what Christine, because Christine, you propped that up. I want to, you have an opinion about Snoke. It's the only thing that I was like, oh, I did not expect it to look like that. Okay. So it's I'm- the only thing that, out of the whole movie that I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, he's fully CGI. This is Andy Serkis, right? Uh, Snoke. Yeah. Yeah, he's fully CGI, which is a problem for me in this film. They're doing so well with their practical effects. There are two. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, there are two that stand out for me, and this is one of them, and there's one we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, and also he's just so close to the Emperor again. You know, it's just so Emperor-y that this is the point where I'm starting to feel those creaks on my first watch without realizing they're following the blueprint of just like, all right, it's been re- felt reassuring, but yeah, seeing these things is like, I've seen this before. Yep. Do I need to see it again? Yeah, for me, I liked the sense of, yeah, I mean, it played the same beats, but I I, I guess my thinking at the point at that point was trying to just join the dots and like, who is this character? How is he connected? Sure. Well, yeah, and we learn. Is he, em- you know, is he the emperor? And the scene's important. I still hate Domin- Domin Hall Gleason. He's terrible in the scene, I think. But we learn important information here. We learn that Han Solo is Kylo Ren's father, which is... Yeah. Yeah, so we, we learn that Han Solo is Kylo Ren's father. And this is where Snoke fears that Ren is going to see, be seduced back to the light. And he mentions that there's been an awakening in the Force. And they had to sort of address that. Hux also mentions that the weapon is ready and that the resistance will be destroyed by destroying the Republic and the government that support it. So Snoke's like, cool, go ahead with that plan. And then he has his little <laughs> private chat with Kylo Ren. Cool, cool. Private uh, Skype time now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we go back to Millennium Falcon and Ray and Solo are still finishing each other's sentences. Finn is struggling to patch up. Chewie... Oh, then they, they, they're in hyperspace and I love this bit where Han Solo gets up to walk into the main cabin area and BB-8's in the way and he just says, move ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> I like the fact that a we see the Easter chess egg game. Here. Yeah, so that's what I was about to say. Sorry. There's a little Easter egg where we see the chess game that they're playing, that Chewie is playing with R2 in A New Hope. Now, just a little Easter egg if you go back and watch The New Hope, I think Chewie or R2's character defeats Chewie's monster in the chess game. Mm-hmm. And here, when the chess game switches on, the roles are reversed and the monster that was defeated in A New Hope nice. beats the monster That's that cool. beat him. We all know that if this chess um, game was actually turned on and the Millennium Falcon hasn't been used in a while, would it actually say his firmware update is needed before, the, <laughs> before you can yeah. play this game again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. BB-8 now reveals the incomplete map to where Luke is located. And this bit, this is a, an example for me where it was like Harrison Ford really cares about what he's doing and his acting sells this bit where he now reveals why Luke left. He says that the, he was training Jedi and the people turned on him. His pupils turned on him, a pupil turned on him and that Luke went looking for the first Jedi temple and then he has this moment where he talks about how he used to think it was all mumbo-jumbo, but that it's all true. The Jedi, the Force. Which, and for me, he just really sells that bit. Yeah. 
and watching it again i was like that is just awesome like it's so so good and apparently it's a uh, there's an easter egg in there as well with the wording for how alec guinness used to talk about remember he was kind of alec guinness didn't like being in star wars really and thought it was all silly like the the force stuff was right silly. And he, that's the phrase he used. He said, ah, all the Jedi stuff, it's all mumbo jumbo. And that's why they got him to yeah. say it that way. It's like, some people think it's mumbo nice. jumbo, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, for me, he just like really just nails that. He just sells it so perfectly. Yeah. And it just feels so sincere. It's cool. It's a sad boy. He's a sad boy in this movie. Han, yeah. Well, he should for be. sure. Yeah. He has a ruined marriage. So, yep. Sanu's become uh, a helmet dick. Yep. Chewie's wounded. Chewie's getting old and getting shot. So Han tells tells Finn and Ray that he's got an old friend who will help them get the droid home, knowing that the Millennium Falcon is going to be too easily uh, found. So, so we go to this new planet, and it's a green, lush planet, and Ray says a line as they're flying in, I've never seen a place so green before. And Solo looks really sad by this. Like, I don't really get... He yeah. Looked, I don't know why. There's a reaction there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Watching it this time, I had a moment where I was like, that... I didn't notice that reaction so much the first time. I feel genuinely they needed a reaction from him and they might have taken it from a different... You know, there's surely lots of dialogue and all these things that they're cutting around. So they might have taken that reaction mm. from something else so it doesn't quite fit for me. But it's really lovely. Mm. Well, for me, it plays into the mystery of who's Ray. Right, and does right, he right. know something? Oh, about it? I see. Mm, In terms of yeah, because I also thought Ray. like, oh, what if Ray's his daughter? Daughter, but... yeah, exactly. He's just been having He's... sex with everybody. Han Solo's <laughs> flying around. It's like, well, but no, because I was thinking maybe because twins run in the family, and I was thinking maybe they had twins. Yep. Oh my God, Christina, you're a true Star Wars nerd. Now. <laughs> you are. That really warmed my heart. <laughs> you just joined all the dots. <laughs> That is so good. You find it completely so broken when you're thinking about things in that, that is, way. That is so so. I'm growing good. up, guys. I'm growing up. That is one of the many oh. uh, one of the many things that yeah people are thinking is going to be a reveal probably in the next film. To be um, honest, we'll see. Yeah, and so, yeah, cool. so I had the same feeling watching it this time as I did the first time of this whole bit. Like they play it with Ray and Solo finishing each other's sentences and like really connecting. Again, I was on that line of Finn's going to be the Jedi, Rey's going to be like a a roguish Han Solo type and is, is the daughter and was, yeah, like you said, separated. Either twins with Kylo Ren or a sibling and they're separated and whatnot. And then you have the other lot of people, obviously, who just because of the way she's dressed, they're just constantly thinking it has to be, she has to be Luke's daughter. That's how most, yeah, lots yeah, of people exactly. think so Oh, that could we be shall too... See. Mm. So they, they land on the planet and some more John Boyega Finn magic where he cries out to Han Solo and he says, Solo. And he's like, did you just call me Solo? And he's like, Han, Mr. Solo. It's so good. <laughs> and, so good. and how are Disney not listening to their own film when they've just called the Han Solo movie Solo? <laughs> when they've got yeah. it in their yeah. own film that it's disrespectful to just call him Solo. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote it down. They like, should have called the new film Mr. Solo. Mr. Solo. That's what you're saying. That right? would be awesome. Uh, a Star Wars story, Mr. Solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at this point, Finn is still going on like with these kind of resistance talk. Tell Solo that he's a big deal in the resistance. And Han 
calls out his bullshit by saying that women always figure out the truth and just like shuts him down. And then from this point on, starts calling Finn big deal, which I think is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Han gives Ray a blaster and then he also offers Ray a position to work on the Falcon. And she's blown away by this, but reveals that she has to go back to Jakku, where she's been waiting already waiting for a long time on her secret mission. so that plays back into that secret kind of mission if she how much of that is she's aware of or does she know who she's waiting for kind of thing and then han takes them into maz kanada's temple which is a beautiful crazy bar much like the moss Eisley cantina on tatooine full of this diverse eclectic mix of creatures mostly puppets and and makeup i think I don't yeah think there's many there's loads of cgi creatures here and this is where we get a single shot of the camera like snakes through them all and you see all the games being played and the gambling and people hanging out and and it's it's such a cool moment. And yeah. then we get her and she's like a little tiny Shrek thing. <laughs> like she's there you completely go. Yeah, another CGI. CGI, yeah. Disappointing to me. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. I do love her lino immediately where she's like, is Chewie here or whatever? Just I like that Wookiee. <laughs> oh, I know. It's so cute. Yeah, she says, she says, where is my boyfriend? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just so matter of fact, the delivery. I like that Wookiee. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, honestly, her, C- her being CGI did not bother me because of the previous films and how bad some of the CGI was and how bad some of the effects choices were and this just was like it, it's, bad. it's so much better of course you know? of course but it stands out for me so because I can't hate. there's so much practical like we're in this room full of practical creatures i'm just so <laughs> grateful it's not like I've the noticed. prequels I've <laughs> but i'm just i'm just like to me it's just you know you should have guillermo del toro this you should have had someone or some puppet thing and it added cgi to that to make it come alive how you want it to instead of, i don't think there's anything mm-hmm. practical here at all for her is there it's like all cgi i see yeah so she how did she shoot it yeah anyway you're right <laughs> you're Sorry, okay? of course. yeah yeah i was just looking up stuff and then i couldn't find it <laughs> but yeah she did motion capture on her face Right. The performance is cool and the CGI is fine. It just stands out for me because everything else has been practical and that's been so great to see. That then to have a main character. Again, it's just that thing of like, if they brought back Yoda now, this is what he'd look like. And I love Yoda as a puppet boy. I love it. Why didn't Yoda come? Where was he? <laughs> Who knows? I was he waiting the whole film He could turn up him. at some point, yeah. So, yeah. The, Maz Kanata's CGI... I, it is a little jarring, but for me, I'm sort of with Christina. I found it don't say balances really well. Don't say jarring. <laughs> but there's another CGI character not in this film moving forward that we can talk about that I might feel no spoilers. About. We'll get no there. Spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, never say jarring um, again, please, when talking about CGI characters. Nisa knows I like her. Shh. Where am I up to? Do it. Don't do it, Al. Ani! Um, no! <laughs> so, uh, then they did a who's a girl. So, yeah, anyway. So, so we're in, we're in Mascara's temple. Another point I want to mention is there's a band playing. It's a nice little tune, much like the Cantina band. And it's not like an overplayed music sequence that George Lucas added to Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Just wanted to add that in. Yeah, and so they have a conversation with Maz where she... Oh, no, we're not up to that bit yet. So Maz has the... Yeah, so asks where her boyfriend apart. is. And then we... Yeah, she asks where her boyfriend is. And then we have 
a droid and an alien that one of them recognizes the droid and says alert the resistance um and then another one the alien girl recognizes the droids and says alert the first order Mm -hmm. so we know that both sides are going to be on their way um and then we cut to kylo ren who is sitting in a chamber and we start the scene just completely close just on his helmet and he's asking for forgiveness because he feels the call to the light and we have this again this idea that he's not quite he's sitting somewhere in the middle at this point he hasn't quite sort of gone fully over to the dark side yep and he asked to be shown the power of the darkness and then that's when it's revealed that he's talking to the charred remains of vader's helmet and he says that he will finish what his grandfather started so we now know feelings on that well this is clarification that leia was definitely the mother they're trying not to keep us in suspense with a lot of this stuff because they know we'd figure it out which i appreciate they're treating us like grown-ups but and it only cuts me on this time because i love from an image point of view it's great crushed darth vader you know head it's his grandfather he wants to live up to the dark side i'm going to finish what you started like i want to live up to you can you please teach me the way but Darth Vader turned to the light at the end, basically, didn't he? Like, he killed mm-hmm. the Yeah, Emperor. that's what I thought. So it seems weird to me on this viewing. I was like, well, unless they just eradicated that from the history books. But I don't know how they would, because surely the Jedi would have been shouting about that. It seems strange that the lesson he should have learned from his grandfather is, no, actually, family's more important. So I, it don't, I don't think it works, actually. I think it's very cool, but I don't think it works. Wait, and didn't? Luke take Darth Vader and burn him or something? Well, they cremated him on Endor. Yeah. With so the Ewoks. With well, the helmet and, those, and everything. One of those thrifty little Ewoks stole that helmet and sold it to black market. I guess. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. Fucking... Yeah, how did he how did he get his hands on that? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of sitting with you, Al. Like I, I think it looks really cool and I do really like that moment where is it kind of forcefully thrust in? Is it going to be explored more? I don't know. Like it, it's just sort of, I don't quite know where it sits yet. It feels like an idea that in a writer's room, you're like, oh, that would be cool because that's his grandfather. We can give him an impetus there. You don't fully then think it through, you know? Like I feel like it's just a loose end that wasn't fully thought through because the general idea of it is fine, but the fine picking of it doesn't really pan out, I don't think. And a little... Uh, a little fan service again, I think. For sure. Like, Looks great in that trailer. Vader's helmet. Remember that trailer and you yeah. get Darth Vader's crushed helmet in the trailer and everyone's like, oh my God. Yeah. That yeah. was literally, oh my God. And I, yeah, I definitely think it's one of those moments of just like, hey, we haven't forgotten you guys. I bet you want to see a bit of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it even like has a bit of a, the underscore of his breathing at that point too. And it's just, it's a cooler way than having Leia actually immediately, you know, like the first time we learn it's Leia is through that. It's, that's a smarter way to do it than telling us is to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So we cut back to Maz and she doesn't want to take back the droid to Leia. She tells, she tells Han to stop running and to go home. And then she reveals to the table that she's seen evil take many forms, the Sith, the Empire, and now the First Order. They have to destroy it. She adjusts her glasses and takes a close look at Finn and she senses that he wants to run. And he's like, yeah, I've seen some shit and I do want to run. Like, I don't want to be part of this anymore. And so Maz tells him there's a group over there. You can run to the outer rims and get a job through them and be far away from all of this. And so he takes the offer and he leaves and Ray's stunned. She doesn't want him to leave. And so she goes after him and he reveals that he's not a hero. And he reveals that he was taken from a family he never knew. 
which reveals again so now that as of the original tri- uh, trilogy the stormtroopers at that point were no longer clones that's how they were recruited and i had a moment here where i was like ah oh, this kind of plays into it's an echo of what the jedi did they would take children to be trained as jedi without them knowing their parents yeah and the kind of effects that that potentially had on them and that sort of dogmatic vision of indoctrinating kids basically it's not so different on both sides but he yeah he refuses to to follow them and says says his goodbyes at this point ray starts hearing voices she hears a child's voice screaming no and she follows the voices to a stairwell and she keeps hearing it and she walks down the stairs with bb8 plonking behind her down the staircase and she follows the child's scream and suddenly a door opens and inside is a chest and she opens it and it's Anakin's lightsaber that was passed on to Luke, which he then subsequently lost when his hand was cut off by Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back. She touches it and the moment she touches it, she enters a crazy vision where she's suddenly transported into a room in Cloud City where Luke and Vader fought in Empire. You hear Darth Vader's breathing um, you suddenly hear Luke scream from that moment when he screams out, no, after his hand was cut. And then suddenly the vision is transported and there's fire and we see a hooded figure and R2-D2 and the hooded figure puts his droid hand on R2 so we can safely assume that that's Luke. Um, and then the vision changes to Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren with all these people that they've killed around them. Ray suddenly notices... Kylo suddenly notices Rey and as he approaches her she's suddenly transported to Jakku where she's a little girl and we see Unka plots hand on her arm as he's like pulling her away and she's crying and screaming out no and looking up and a ship is flying off into the distance Um, and as it flies into the sky the vision narrows and she comes out of her vision and I don't know if you guys heard but you can you can faintly hear at this point Obi-Wan say Rey these are your first steps. Yeah, I had it written down. Is that Obi-Wan's voice? Because it sounds like Obi-Wan. It's clearly not him. It's, yeah. it's got to be a sound alike. So, no. So, this is what they did. Was It was done in two sections. And I, I saw you and McGregor talk about this in an interview. So, the bit where he says Ray, they actually cut from Alec Guinness in A New Hope or one of the films where he said, Afraid what afraid into ray because that's the bit, the bit i picked says, up on was the ray like the ray i heard yeah. so clearly and i was like that sounds just like alec guinness so that ah, oh, that's yeah. crazy so they so they they cut the afraid and then these are your first steps uh was you and mcgregor fuck and i think there's also bits in there where you can hear yoda earlier in the vision I think he mentioned something about the dark side. That's crazy. See, I mean, this is the scene that a lot of people are picking through still, thinking that it's all perfectly planned to plant the seeds for what is her history, who are her family, what is her future. Do you think it is? This is what most people are picking through. It's like, this is the bit. But the problem is, it's like perspective on this, because you're starting with, like you're seeing Kylo, like you're seeing Luke clearly put his hand on the droid. So it's like, well, are, you have to go with, are we seeing things from her perspective or not? Because then we're definitely not later because we see her, you know, that's the problem. Was she there for any of these things? Are these events from someone's eye point or are we just seeing a correlated, you know, bunch of scenes? Because when you got Luke with R2-D2 and then you got Kylo Ren with the Knights, it's like, well, okay, well, are those two things joined? You know, did Kylo Ren and the Knights, mm-hmm. is that the moment 
where they turned on Luke and like turn up and before Luke, you know, leaves kind of thing. It, it does that tie in with Ray in that way. Like then when we have the de- you know, departing and Ray screaming out, come back. It's like, is it literally just trying to tell us that Luke is definitely her father then? Because we know he then left and the correlation of events are kind of there with the Knights. Or is it jumbling together a whole bunch of these are just important Jedi things that happened? You know, it's I don't know. I don't know how much faith to have in them (laughs) for having thought it all through perfectly. So I'm just looking at some of the lines here that are that are said in that vision that are like put into the background. Apparently there's Yoda, there's the Darth Vader breathing. There's Luke saying no. There's Yoda saying it's energy. Um, and then saying surrounds us and binds us. So that was like his speech to Luke about the force. There's another line from Obi-Wan saying, you will be tempted, but you cannot control it. Yoda says, Yoda says surrounds us again. Obi-Wan says the force will be with you. And then the ray, these are your first steps. But like, if you look on the web, like there's different little bits that people have picked up that are in that vision. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Like, yeah, the correlation of these shots. I want to see more of the knights. That I'm sad we missed out on that. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's very, very hard to tell. Okay. So the vision ends and Maz appears and says that the lightsaber has called to Rey. And Maz says that the person that left her won't be coming back, but there is something that will. And that's Luke. Oh, I think Rey says Luke. She says the one that says Luke. And Maz urges Rey to follow the light and to trust her feelings and to take the lightsaber. Um, but Ray is just like freaked out and overwhelmed and she refuses and she says she doesn't want to be a part of this. So she leaves the temple and runs into the forest. And now we cut to a bit, which I'm sure you really loved, Al, as you've talked about your feelings about uh, Donald Gleason, where General Hux is giving a rousing sort of Hitler Nazi style speech yeah. at Starkiller Base. He says that it will destroy the new republic <laughs> and the Senate. Yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> it was like really hammy. And it was really weird. So over the top. We've got like lines of troopers, much like the prequels, done better, but just like CGI lines of people. It seems to be purely there for the trailers. I don't like it. And all. that's not his, is that his real accent? No, no, not really. I mean, he's, he's, he's British, but it's that he's not that British. <laughs> He's, he's, he's it just sounded it sounded really it fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It I mean, was yeah. Weird. It's just bad acting. I don't really get his character. We don't need his character. There's not any real conflict that comes from it. There's enough characters anyway. I agree. And we don't need this, you know, there's a whole thing between him and Kylo Ren going on. And it's like, who cares? Really, like, there's much more interesting things happening. And this whole scene must cost a lot of yeah, money. Sure. And I would cut this scene. It might cut of this movie, which I think I'm going to do at some point, because I really do think, for me, it's a better movie, just cutting bits out. This whole scene goes. Don't need any of it. Yeah, so so at this point, he their weapon that they're talking about, Starkiller Base, which is like the Death Star, shoots a giant beam, but it goes right across the galaxy, destroying the planets and system that hold the Republic. Now, when you first watch this, or for me anyway, I was like, oh my God, the center of the galaxy... Um, and the center of the Republic was always the planet Coruscant, which we see a lot in the prequels. And when the beam enters the planet, it looks very much like that. But it is, in fact, not Coruscant. Oh, is it uh, not? They destroy. No, it's not. They destroy. Because <laughs> my feeling was like, oh, they're getting. They want to destroy Coruscant. killing Karasant, the prequels. And that's symbolic. <laughs> okay, symbolic of killing the prequels. That's why I had written that. But uh, 
in fact, it's um, the Hosnian system. And so in, in Star Wars here, when the New Republic was formed after Return of the Jedi, they created a democratic system where the, uh, the House of Government and the Republic was democratically elected and changed. Yeah, I went to sleep like again, Alex. You, you're terms. saying prequel talk. I don't, I'm not. There's, there was okay. politics going so, on yep. and republics. and <laughs> so, Yeah. I tuned so out. We'll move on from I, that. I will say, this though, point. this moment genuinely affected me this time. When you see the planet blow up and then you see the people on that planet that I presume was Coruscant. And it's like, like, they focus on that girl who's there with a lot of people on a balcony. And they're looking at the other planets in the sky blowing up and then the laser coming towards them. It did actually affect me. I thought that's actually kind of It affected me too. Upsetting. It was pretty sad. And you could kind of put yourself yeah. in their shoes and like, what if that shit? Yeah, it was the only time. Happened? I felt a lot of joy throughout this movie and then a bit of boredom at a couple of points. This was the only time I actually felt, yeah, like a, a real, like, I don't know, it really tugged at me. Made me very sad. Yeah, it's interesting you guys feel like that because I read an article <laughs> shortly after this was released where one of the criticisms was talking about how there was a general lack of care of the consequences for some of the characters in this film. Right. And it talked about that planet being destroyed and sort of seeing our main characters look up at the action moves on. There's no time to reflect. There's no sense of the gravitas of what has happened. Um, And it compared that to when Alderaan is destroyed in A New Hope. Again, another like beat for beat echo. But we go to Obi-Wan who suddenly has a moment where he's overwhelmed and he sits down and he's and he says the line, I feel like I heard a thousand vo- or a million voices screaming that were suddenly silenced. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Which, um, uh, yeah, I, and to, yeah, your point is good in that it's more chilling said, I think, than seen, which I think is often the case. Which is weird because it kind of counteracts the film rule of show it, don't say it. But sometimes I do think people telling a story is more chilling because then you create the imagery in your head. and But it's still got to me. So yeah, just thought I'd do that, throw that out there. Thank you. I caught it. So then it. The, f- <laughs> the first order then arrive, TIE fighters arrive and start bombing Maz's temple. And Ray, who's in the forest with BB-8, tells BB-8 to like split, go hide, go do your own thing. And a big battle ensues now. So uh, Kylo Ren arrives, the stormtroopers arrive and they're fighting and Han borrows Chewie's crossbow and shoots it and he loves it. He's like, wow, I didn't know that thing was so powerful. And then Finn, who now has the lightsaber, because he's like, I don't have a weapon. Oh, yeah, I said before Maz gives the lightsaber to Solo. But then he's like, I don't have a weapon. And Maz is like, you have it in your hand. And he lights the lightsaber. Again, at this point, initially when I saw it, I was like, Finn's the Jedi. That's it. He's the Jedi. Even though he's no, kind of I knew couldn't it was, be a I knew girl. it was Ray. I knew it was You're Ray. part of the problem, Alex. <laughs> Yeah, come on, Alex. Uh, they gave limited. you all the hints already. It's Ray. It's Ray. We know that. Stop denying She's it. She's in a toga, all right? <laughs> Jedi. Come on. Finn has a lightsaber fight with a trooper who has a weapon. Sorry to reference the prequels again, but it's kind of a bit like General Grievous's guards. It's sort of like this electrified rod thing which could deflect the lightsaber. Stop it. Stop. Is it over? Sorry, sorry guys. And then Solo, Finn, and Chewie are caught. They're over run by the the stormtroopers but then the resistance arrives and poe dameron with his x-wings that are all different colors come flying across the lake and start blasting everyone he's back he's back we thought he was dead but he's alive i've written down poe he's too cool should have died 
That's my nose. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, it, he's too cool and he's alive and he's still invincible. He's not. Is uh, he in the next movie? Because I really wanted to see more of him. I really liked him. You have to wait him. and see. You have to wait and see. Is but he in the next movie? You'll have to wait and see. Is he in the next movie? <laughs> He's not. There's nothing flawed about him. He's so perfect. uh, What's wrong with that? It's not real. It's not like he's not a real person. The others I'm loving in this is that they're real people. So even like I say, like I'm not enjoying all of Daisy Ridley's performances, but the character's so real. I am loving it. Whereas Poe, I I love what's his face, the actor of um, anyway, him from Ex Machina, Oscar Isaac. I love him. Yeah, Oscar yeah. Isaac's a fantastic actor. But the character's just so perfect. <laughs> and just like, yeah. 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 But. So he arrives. We do get somebody else. To starts shooting the shit out of everyone. Finn, who's now ditched the lightsaber, has a blaster. And my friend Benjamin uh, Ellsworth, giving you a shout out, mentioned on Facebook. I noticed that Finn doesn't miss a shot. And Al, Al thinking I had posted that. No, don't tell the story. Racist. <laughs> and then it became it then, came up on my Facebook feed <laughs> with your picture next to it. So I thought, oh, this is appropriate for me to call him racist because that's what we do to but each other. why? Because was, that's what we would have done. Yeah, yeah. I and know. then Al did a, a very funny and awkward Apology, and it just became this funny thing. Um, Damage control was bad. Yeah, but but Ben, I did uh, mention that I would mention you in this for bringing that up. But yes, he doesn't. He has three shots, and I think he doesn't miss once. How do you have another friend other oh, yeah. than Nick? Yes, I do. I Excellent. do. Um, Nick and but Ben. Nick will be will be here soon, and we will be going to see. I don't know if I mentioned this. <laughs> A day before the release of Force uh, Last Jedi, Nick, Bethany, and I will be going to a early screening, a double feature of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Why why are you going with with Nick and not Christina? Uh, I invited Christina (laughs) several times. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, what movies? We have to rewatch a couple movies, right? Just The Force Awakens before watching The Last Jedi. So spo- this one. Uh, one spoiler for the net. The reason why you're looking confused, Christina, just to tidy up in your brain, because I can see <laughs> you see it melting, is the next film is not in continuity. So the next film is not after this. The ne- I see. It's the next not film, I hate to say the word, but the next film is technically a prequel. But we'll get to that. Then the next film, your <laughs> eyes are fantastic right now. <laughs> it's every, um, every other year you have the mainline Star Wars films. So the one that we're going to see next week, The Last Jedi, is the sequel to this one. But then every other year, they're also doing single stories to do with other characters. So we're getting a young Han Solo movie and we have the the next podcast we're doing wow. is, is not part of this this timeline exactly. Like, Okay, yeah. Alex. Yes. When are you going to go watch it? On the 14th at 3.30 p.m. Okay, maybe I could just show up for the second movie. You will not Nobody be getting notice. tickets. To the <laughs> Why? Why? It's The Last Jedi and it's like premiere showings. They've been sold out for months now. Oh. I can send you details. You can look into it. But I tried to invite you very early on. <laughs> we need to make sure you have a ticket to go see this movie for the podcast or we're in trouble. So we, I'm going to have to organize that with you. We should do that not okay. on air you know, because right now we're okay, airing okay. on a podcast that's going to be over three hours long. 
So, I know, you know guys. Chris- let's get it let's get it up let's get it done. Wrap it up. <laughs> okay. So uh Ray is hiding in the forest. Kylo Ren finds her and he blocks her bas- blaster blaster shots. <laughs> you and bastard. He freezes Ray. And he comes and he's like This is the girl who's I've heard so much about. That was kind of like a high pitched Bane slash it was, Kylo that Ren was. imitation. That was pretty Very good. Bad. Um, she and says he your reads name. her mind. <laughs> yeah. um, he force reads her mind and he realizes that Ray has seen the map to where Luke Skywalker is. So they don't need the uh, droid anymore. So he abandons their mission. He rounds up all the stormtroopers and he takes Ray, who he knocks unconscious, aboard his ship. Han Solo sees the Kylo Ren and has a moment of just like, oh, that's my son. I made that. I made that. The stormtroopers leave, the resistant troops arrive. And we see Leia. Yay! Um, and they have this be- beautiful moment where they're just looking at each other and saying that it's been a long time. And then that moment is broken by a C-3PO With who interrupts arm. just as he often does. And it's kind of funny. And he's like, I- and he has a red arm, which we don't know why, but he has a red arm. Carrie Fisher, um, great Han- eyes. Great eyes. Like just so sympathetic yeah. eyes. Love her. So nice yeah. to see her. Yeah. Real beautiful moment this and where Han reveals that their son was here. Yeah. And, and it's- yeah, and just that moment where they hug for the first time. Yeah, and it's that close sort of shot on Carrie Fisher as she's her head's on Han's chest. It's like... Oh. Yeah, and this is the moment. I won't repeat it here because we said it early on in one of, the, I think, the first or second podcast. I think The Empire Strikes Back. So people, if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to that one. But there's some good history and this is where that one, that bit happened where they saw the other couple and it kind of reflected on their own past when they had been having an affair on the first film and stuff. And this was the moment. That it happened in and, and you can feel between them there is definitely there's a genuine tenderness between them which is nice mm-hmm. yeah it's really beautiful we go inside the base our resistance base the base finn and poe reconnect and poe's like i'm going to take you to see general leia um, and then there's like a funny bit in here where chewie's getting bandaged up favorite bit in the movie very like very sexily and flirtily by the person that's, that's oh yeah him. i noticed that i love it <laughs> the doctor's like well you're very you must be very brave it sounds very scary <laughs> he's like, and he's like oh, yeah pretty cool i'm pretty cool <laughs> it's so i didn't see it as a sexy it's thing so though i saw funny. it more it's like oh he's like he must be old by now god like how old do you Chewbacca's lip until how old do Wookiees? Hundreds, I think. There you go. He must be oh, old. Oh, wow. But he's acting like he's yeah, about I think six he's years old. 100 and something. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I love him. <laughs> love him. You must he had be a lot of great bad. moments. <laughs> so funny. At this point, 3PO reveals that the map is incomplete and it's of an unknown system. If only they had that map in the uh, Jedi Temple that Han Solo found Kamino on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, they need small Jedi children to figure it out. That's what Obi-Wan did. Anyway, more prequel references. We don't need to get into that. Shut up. Uh, BB-8 finds R2, who is in low power mode. And 3PO's like, yeah, he's been in low power mode since um, since Luke left. I don't know if he'll ever be the same. And then we have another beautiful moment between Han and Leia, which for me, again, is just seeing Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher just care about being back in this project and care about each other. And it's... They have a conversation about Kylo Ren and that that's their son, Ben, and that there's too much Vader in him and Leia sent him away to train with Luke and that they can still save him and Snoke seduced him and that Leia senses the light. 
for me, it's like one of those moments where it could just be just sounds too silly and ridiculous, but they just own it and play it so tenderly and yeah, uh, that I that I was just really moved by it. Yeah, um, I have to like you know, I I'm, I feel I'm always the most brutal, so I feel bad that I'm the one to say Daisy Ridley's I don't think a great actress and all this stuff, but I can still enjoy it. I think Harrison Ford is a better actor than Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher is, I think. Carrie Fisher, when she's talking to the robots, it feels a little bit wooden to me. It does. But her stuff yeah. when she's with another actor is really lovely and genuine and particularly with Harrison Ford. But I mean, Harrison Ford has been acting since then, like, uh, you know, throughout all these years. And has I don't think has Carrie Fisher. She has, there? but certainly not had the career that he had. No. N- yeah. Not yeah. as she's much. She's been as- more yeah. what did doing you say? stuff on the writing side, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's a lot of writing and producing and things like that. So Ray wakes up now in the torture chair and Kylo Ren is squatting in front of her and he takes off his mask to reveal Emo Boy. He is from Alkaline Trio. (laughs) I love it because I totally forgot he was in this movie. And so he took off his mask. I was like, oh, yeah. This is the first time we see Adam Driver. You know, I guess your expectation, maybe he's a Sith Lord to see a kind of crazy sort of face or maybe i don't know but it's still just very there's like a softness to his features and yeah he's emo kind he's of got i mean look i don't drive it to the credit he's not a pretty boy he's not like a hayden christensen or something like that like he has an interesting oh, i think face. he's yeah. so pretty no uh, but i mean he's attractive oh, in, yeah, in a yeah, good yeah, yeah. interesting typical, way yeah yeah he's not like yeah, a not model. Your typical pretty boy exactly i mean he is kind mm-hmm. of a model but you know what I mean. He's but a model because he's mean, got a weird, interesting, attractive yeah. face yeah, rather yeah, yeah. than a chiseled, yeah. I'm a jock kind of, you know, football yeah. player yeah, kind of face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah, they easily yeah. could have gone with. Adam Driver's a fantastic actor. Like, I love him oh in everything. Oh my God, everything. I love him. And I think he's yeah. fantastic in this. The problems I have with Kylo Ren are not to do with him, they're to do with the character. And I think it's brilliant to disarm the audience like that if you didn't know about it, which the majority of the public wouldn't research and wouldn't care, to suddenly have that reveal. I think it's really, really cool. And then it makes more sense that he had those tantrums and stuff, even though I don't like the tantrums. It gives it more context. I still, to this day, and I feel it every time, this is too soon. This is not the time to show his face for me. For me, the time to show his face will get to a bit later on when he confronts his father. This is not the no, time. No, I like that he revealed it to Ray. But why? Like Ray means nothing to him. Like and for, for I, I she, thought like she, almost she, I almost thought like God, does he kinda like her? You're just looking for a man anywhere you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want some more of that attack of the clones romance. He takes I off his mask and then he starts saying, You know what? You remind me of sand. And uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, because, I mean, Ray kind of goads him into taking off the mask at this point, though, doesn't she? Yeah. Because she makes a comment. Yeah. No. I just, um, regardless of for the characters, I just don't feel for the audience it's the right time to reveal him. I don't think it's, I think it would be so much more impactful to keep us waiting. We're an hour and a half yeah, in, I, so I understand, but. I I think I agree with you on that, for sure. I think if, yeah, when we get to that point, we'll talk about it. So he tries to manipulate Ray with the force and tries to get into her head. But Ray is suddenly able to force block him and, and read his inner feelings. And she senses his fear and fear that he will never be as strong as Vader, which sort of makes Ren all flustered and shocked. He's like, Whoa! and he runs away and he reveals back. He goes back to Snoke 
and he reveals that the girl is stronger in the force than she realizes. And then Hux comes in and throws Kylo Ren under the bus and says that Ren thought the droid was unnecessary, but I tracked it though. British and I people. know where the resistance base is because he's being a teacher's pet. And at this point, Ray tries to, yeah, so we go back to Ray in the torture room and we see her having only just start to figure out the force, mm-hmm. kind of know how to use a Jedi mind trick. How does she even know about Jedi become- mind tricks? Like how does, what, it's exactly. a correlation. Oh, she's heard, she's, she's heard stories. She saw Come the on. TV show. Okay. I don't know. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Because it is a jump, even if she's read Legends, for her to go, oh, maybe I have something in me to immediately go, oh, they could do that thing, couldn't they? Maybe I can do that thing. I mean, I guess. Yeah. But it is She's smart. She's a smart girl. Come on. Like, I get it. Give her a break, okay? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. But then they, and also it's kind of, they play it for laughs as well, which is for me is kind of, I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, she tries to do the Jedi mind trick and you think it's worked, but the, the stormtrooper's like, what? Why would I release you? And kind of questions what she's saying. Little Easter egg, that particular stormtrooper is played by Daniel Craig. Oh, that's the one. Awesome. That's the one. And then so to argue, like, yeah, I guess the argument you could have here with the Force thing is that the Force is awakening within her. And so that it's like this intuitive sense that's driving her to make these choices but she's not the last jedi hence the force awakens but there you go um but then it it does work and she tells the stormtrooper to leave the door open and to drop his weapon and she escapes and then kylo ren comes back into the room and he sees that it's empty and he goes back into massive tantrum mode and starts lightsabering the shit out of the room and we have a funny very kind of original uh trilogy kind of humor where two troopers come around the corner they hear him having <laughs> his tantrum and just turn around and walk back the other way yeah this is all gone in my cut um <laughs> particularly the shot of uh, the two this- stormtroopers turning around that upset me so much i was like come on <laughs> at this point the weapon Starkiller base is is being charged and it's being charged by drawing energy from the sun uh with which it like orbits. superman coincidence so we have a bit now where we go back to the resistance briefing where they're going through the plans of Starkiller Base. Now, seeing it this time for me, this bit resonated in a completely different way where I was like, I think they're in on this, on the joke, kind of. Oh, definitely. You have Han Solo says the line, how do we blow it up? There's always a way to do that. And Leia goes, he's right. Yeah. It's like, it's so self-referential that it it rubs me the wrong way, this whole scene, to to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, it rubbed me the wrong way when I first saw it, but this time I felt... I felt like it was less self-referential and sort of like fan servicey, but more kind of taking the piss a little bit about the fact that they were doing that as a means of kind of capturing everyone. And like, because Return of the Jedi was exactly the same. Yeah, but it's like so insult on top like, of insult though for me. It's like, here's the same thing you've seen us do twice already before, at least. It depends how you kind of count in the fine lines for that. But here's the same thing. We're not even going to think of something new. But then to get away with it, we're going to have ourselves being self-referential. And I don't like self-referential humor being used to cover up laziness, basically. Lazy writing. And that's basically what it's doing. So for me, it's like, even if you just had the same idea, well, then at least have the balls to play it straight. Or or do something self-referential, but that's actually, you know, subverting something. Whereas instead, it's just like, we couldn't be bothered to come up with a new thing. Here you go, because you need an ending. 
the death he hears a death yeah. star but it's even bigger than before and and han solo has that line yeah. as well when he shows it, he says all right so it's bigger like and it's like well yeah. yeah that's what we're all thinking it's like well who cares it's bigger and i don't think any of us care do we like it's a big death star all right that's not exciting yeah for yeah. sure yeah no so yeah, just to to clarify this bit because we've sort of talked about it in chunks. At the briefing, they're talking about Starkiller Base, and they literally show up an image of that. And Han Solo or someone says it's another Death Star, and they go, "No, it's bigger." And they show <laughs> side by side of the Death Star and Starkiller Base. Ooh. How do we blow it up? And like you said, out um, Han Solo is like, "There's always a way to do it." And and then again, follow the exact same beats. Finn says he can disable the shields. They basically it's follow the same plan. Disable the, the shields. Of- Sorry, go. blow up the middle part and then destroy the base yeah this is the it's turning the same point outline it's exactly the same outline and it's a turning yeah. point yeah. for me because we've had a scene of daisy where i've been stretched a little bit with my disbelief of she's suddenly realizing she's got powers and she's using a bit too much and she used it in a comedy way then we have a scene that is not like anywhere of kylo ren throwing a tantrum and it's stormtroopers treating it in a comedy way and then we have a scene that's repeating stuff we've seen before multiple times and they're self-referentiating it in a comedy way. And for me, it's that triple mm-hmm. blow in a row for me. That is my turning point of, okay, I'm starting to lose interest. I've been really enraptured in this film for the majority of it. I've had criticism and a few problems, but I've been enjoying the ride and the characters so much. And then this is the point where I'm like, I feel like I know exactly where you're going and I've seen it all before. And the way you're starting to treat it is more, yeah, like Star Trek did in its reboot. I don't care about Star Trek, but... It's all of those things they do when they reboot something and they bring back old characters. They tend to get them to poke fun at stuff. And I've really respected in this film they haven't. They've treated it sincerely. And I'm starting to feel like they're not being as sincere anymore, which I don't know. Yeah. It's a turning point for me. So yeah, Finn says he'll disable the shields. Chewie and Han say that, okay, we'll get you there. Um, And then the resistance can blow up the big gun. And then we have a farewell between Solo and Leia. Again, another moment, moment I really loved. I wrote in my notes, made my heart swell and brought a tear to my eye. And for me watching this moment, I think it was a combination of just thinking of Carrie Fisher and this sort of, oh, I know. you know, being and that kind she's of, gone yeah, well, now. not her last performance yet, mm-hmm. but that she's gone now and how influential this role was on her life and also outwardly, like the impact it had culturally and to sort of see these two characters say their farewells and almost kind of yeah farewell to their sort of part in the franchise i guess because now the story was being sort of taken over by this new generation so it was like a really moving moment so the falcon lands on starkiller base at this point ren senses the presence of han solo on starkiller base yeah bethany had a moment was like why can he sense solo and not ray but then we talked it through and we realized that he can sense that ray's there but he doesn't he can't pinpoint her location and Sensing solo is the same. Like he can sense his presence mm-hmm. there, but not exactly where he is. But at this point, another beautiful Finn, John Boyega moment. They're, they're planning their infiltration into the base. And he reveals to he reveals to Han Solo that he worked in sanitation. <laughs> um, and, and he's like, he's just here to save Ray and they can use the force. And Han Solo's like, that's not how the force works. Yeah. And it's just like, it's really <laughs> that was funny, funny. funny moment. <laughs> I, I like that moment. However, the sort of, again, this is like a real strong fan service moment of the whole sanitation yeah, thing yeah, yeah. in A New Hope and the garbage disposal. Well, yeah, and we get more of that uh, in a minute. So. We do. So they, they 
Oh, and then Chewie says that he's cold, and Han looks at him. He's like, "Oh, really? You're cold." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they infiltrate the base and they capture Captain Phasma, and Finn is so pumped. Again, I think this is just another great Finn moment because he's just so pumped that he's caught Captain Phasma, and Solo has to tell him to bring it down because he he can't control his emotions. Apparently, Captain Phasma's uh, uh, armor is meant to be because you know it looks weird. Captain Phasma's armor. It's meant to be melted down mm. Naboo spaceship. Ah, cool. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Cool. Screw you, Naboo. Yeah, it's literally blowing up and, and melting an- down the prequels. <laughs> yeah. We have Ray trying to escape through the base, and we have another throwback here to A New Hope where two stormtroopers are talking about a new speeder or ship, and they're like, have you seen this, blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's a bit in A New Hope where Luke or Obi-Wan is dismantling the shields and there's two stormtroopers up on a bridge and they're like have you seen the new t whatever and so there's like a complete throwback of that moment they go back to phasma phasma lowers the shields and they're deciding what to do with the and Hartman's like garbage disposal uh with a trash compactor because we all remember what happened when he was in that he clearly hasn't forgotten so yeah he clearly hasn't forgotten for me like a very as there are quite a few in this film, like a very forced sort of like moment. The X-Wings arrive. So now we have three things happening at once. We have the X-Wings arriving, trying to bomb and blow up the base. We have Ray. Oh, sorry. Okay. So the X-Wings arrive. The sun is being sucked of energy. There's a line from Poe Dameron where he's like, as long as there's light, we got a chance, which I thought was like just very on the nose. And Finn is trying to come up with a plan when Solo spots Ray behind him and is like gesturing with his chin, like that uh, Ray's oh, behind him. Yeah. Finn's like, "What's that? What's that? What are you doing? What, what's this? I'm trying to come up with a plan." Another just like at this point, Finn's on a roll. Yeah, he's just like on a roll. They find Ray and they have this really sweet moment where they get back in the elevator that they arrived in, and Chewie picks up Han's jacket, which he had dropped there, and like gives it back to him. And Han just looks at it and looks at Chewie, which I thought was really funny. Uh, more of the dogfights going on. Solo realizes that the fleet is in trouble and decides to stay um, and use the explosives that Chewie brought. So Chewie and Solo start setting charges around uh, the main oscillator, and it kind of it kind of feels like business as usual really that's how i feel with this whole thing it's like they're doing it well because the characters are still good but you got your dog fight and you got stuff happening on the ground and then you got like the the base side of it as well and it's very much that it's that very typical ending we get with the star wars films of having those three things happening at the same time which yeah absolutely it's kind of weird because i'm still enjoying it but i am tuning out a lot more for sure like i on this viewing on my multiple viewing here i was definitely started to check out some facts about the film at this point whereas at the beginning of the film i was i had no i didn't want to look away and it goes on quite a long um, time, this end section, I find. It does go quite on. So we have this whole bit where they're setting the charges. We have, yeah, Finn and Ray like going up to a lookout point and the dogfight and it's all kind of happening. Uh, Kylo Ren approaches with his troops. He senses Solo. He walks out onto this bridge and Han Solo sees him and so he walks out towards him. And this is the first time we it's revealed Kylo Ren's name, his real name, which is Ben which we can assume oh, is I missed after that. Ben Kenobi. Yeah, because Han Solo is like, Ben. And so you can assume that's after Obi-Wan, who was Ben Kenobi. In the expanded universe, I think he was Jason Solo. 
He's like, no, it's anymore. Kylo. Call me Kylo. <laughs> Much cooler. Um, and Solo tells him to remove his mask. And he says that his son is still good and that Snoke is using him for his power. And he begs Ben to come home. And Ben says it's too late. And he says that he's being torn apart and that he wants to be free of this pain. But that he feels like he doesn't have the strength to do what he needs to do. And he asks Han Solo, his father, for his help. And he hands Solo his lightsaber. But just as he does that, the sun is drained of its energy and envelops the planet in darkness. And at this point, they're staring at each other. And Ben's not letting go of his lightsaber. And he ignites it. <laughs> straight through the middle of Han Solo. The legendary Han Solo who looks up in disbelief and then tenderly touches his son's face before falling into the abyss. Sad. Okay, so rest in peace, Han Solo. And then Chewie. Oh, great no. painful look for Chewie. Great look from Leia who feels it from the base. But, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Two things here then uh, for me. Because obviously this is the, you know, the big moment. This is the big moment. <sighs> okay, two things. First of all, they have a fucking empire to be running you got to be regimented with a good business acumen to get this shit done, to head out there and take over the galaxy. What dickhead doesn't put railings on bridges that are this long? Who in their right mind? I don't care if you're an evil empire. You put railings on things. You got to keep your workforce. There's some health and safety. Yeah, Yeah. there's some health and safety issues. (laughs) And it sounds like I'm being silly, but the first moment I saw this, like that scene and you see him walk out on that bridge and you're like, all right, well, I know what's going to happen because it's so preposterously long and so preposterously unrailing. And they've done it before. Yeah. They've done it before. And they've done it before. Like every movie they've done it. But it's astronomically, even Kylo Ren, we've seen he's human. He would be terrified walking along that. Like it is preposterous you could have a small one or have it with railings and he gets pushed over it it wouldn't be that weird you know it's just so set up that it does bother me Mm -hmm. that it's just flagged immediately no this is definitely going one way like one of these two is getting pushed off here we know which one is gonna be but okay so then how you described it there was interesting i was waiting for you to get through it because i wanted to see how people interpreted this you're talking about the sun when it goes you know out and it goes in darkness to me it's just like a visual metaphor and not a subtle one for the revealing of his intent to us as the audience do you feel though because he does but then you do say and it's true and i noticed it this time he sort of grips onto the sword and he is obviously conflicted but i like this idea of him saying i i need to not feel torn apart anymore but the tearing apart anymore is the good side tearing at him so what he wants is to suffocate the good thing because it's actually a more peaceful life for him to not feel pain and the only reason you feel pain is because you have good feelings which I like that. I think that's actually an interesting and kind of true dark reality. It's like if you turn yourself off completely and that's what he wants, it's become numb to all of that. Um, but do you feel there's any point, either of you, that he is actually, you know, when they're holding the sword and it between them, is it a turn for him when he decides, no, I'm going to kill actually him, you know, and the sun goes out? Is, it, is that actually showing what's going on inside his head where he is tempted and then he turns or the whole time, is that what he's talking about? Is look, I need to kill you. Will you let me? I go with a second. Okay. I yeah, think, I go with the yeah. latter too. Okay. That's what I got. I just wanted to know I if th- there was a different way to interpret it or not. Yeah, I think it was his intent all along. And he understood that that was much like Luke to complete his training had to kill Vader. To complete his dark side training, he had to finally kill Solo. Yeah. So I always, I interpreted it that way as well and that the the sun going into darkness was just a very 
like on the nose visual kind of reference. Yeah, very on the nose. Christina, like, did you remember this happening very, from the first time? Like, were you ready for Hansel? I must die? have been in a coma or something. <laughs> so, did it, so did it? What did it? Were you because I didn't remember anything. <laughs> well, I still had hope. Like, I was still like, oh, well, maybe he comes. To, I didn't. I didn't really remember anything. So right. it was all. It was you know still shocking and surprising to me. I think Adam Driver is fantastic in this scene. I really he do. really is. I think he so plays good. it very well. So good. Um, and this is yeah, the moment for cool. me like it's- when I want to see his face. Sorry, sorry, Alex. I'm going to cut you off. But this is the moment for me yeah, where no, I want his yeah. real. I'll just keep cutting you off. Got anything else? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I agree. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all I had to say. Like, this is the moment for me. It would be so much more impactful to have him stand there. And then when he calls out Ben and then he says, take off your mask, you don't need it. And for them, that to be the first time where he takes it off and as an audience, we realize, oh man, he is a child. But I mean, he's not. Adam Driver's the same age as me, but he like, but he's got a baby face and to realize he's this vulnerable sort of younger person. That's when I would yeah, like to say. Yeah, I, I agree. That would have been a great reveal. And I think you're right. His acting here is like the fact that he plays that line for us as an audience of, is, is he kind of mm-hmm. good? Like is... To, to yeah. the fact that we're asking that question so good like it just shows how well he handled that like how mm-hmm. he played that line and then maybe yeah, so, as you said they just knew people wanted to see more of his face you know maybe <laughs> well, no, that's why that's they revealed it a little bit earlier it. driver like it's you know sure he Come wasn't quite he was mostly Come just big for girls before this you know now obviously he's he's much bigger because of this film but he was still adam driver from girls and like yeah I think they wanted to use that pretty face a few more times. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, so, yeah, as you said before, Leia senses the loss. Chewie loses his shit. That's he great. Fires it, Love it at Ben, which which gets uh, gets him right in the side and sort of knocks him down for a moment. Um, and then he he uh, sets off all the charges. Kylo Ren looks up and sees Rey and Finn and decides to go after them. They escape into the forest, but Kylo Ren somehow has beat them to it and is waiting for them and we have this moment where he's he's unmasked he's bleeding and he's kind of just in this rage and beating his wound and chest what's his wound from is, how do you guys feel about that what's oh, it's from, from chewy blaster oh it is from, from chewy. chewy i fucking yeah. love it yeah i really love him being yeah i love I it mm-hmm. so good so good yeah it looks cool because it's just like really physical and enraged i, I just love that there's this physical yeah and i remember kind of action day i think the first time i saw it i didn't notice him get shot and I remember thinking, I didn't understand what was going on. And I thought it was just like an actor thing. It was just like his, just how, like, even without being wounded, that was what he you was doing. Didn't, did you see the blood drip? I did, but I was confused by it. I didn't really understand because <laughs> I didn't know he had been injured. So I was like, I don't know really what's going on here. Maybe Weird it's the blood. Actors, I man. thought maybe it was the blood from his father at one point on him. And he was like shaking it off him kind of thing. But the, and then he does it again later, pounding him. And even not knowing he was injured, I was still fine with it. I was still like, it's really, it's so weird and just yeah raw i fucking love it it's really cool yeah it's really cool so he force pushes ray against a tree and knocks her unconscious and finn picks up the lightsaber and starts to fight kylo ren and it's clear from the get-go that finn is outmatched but he happens to get a lucky shot on kylo ren's arm before he's disarmed and kylo ren slices his back which sends finn to the ground unconscious he turns around and I really love this bit. He calls, he he tries to call Luke's lightsaber to him and it goes flying through the air, but skips past him and Ray is standing up holding the lightsaber 
kind of in disbelief of what she has done. Yeah. This would be a cool bit if we're, instead of like the forced Jedi mind trick in the- Yeah, this is the reveal. In the base, like if this was like the reveal, just suddenly she's- been intuitive and absolutely i think this is a um, great moment i really do like this whole scene I, mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a sucker for snow falling in scenes and they've got a lot of environments in this which is great the snow is falling here it looks cool but i don't actually think the lightsaber fight because and it shouldn't be because they're not experts yet but i don't think the lightsaber fight mm-hmm. is as good as the darth Maul one i still think that's the best lightsaber fight for me but the setting's cool obviously it's film more sophisticated in in many ways but I'm kind of like Phyllis just dragging on. Like, I'm not really loving this scene. But that moment when she then gets it is great. Like, it's a fantastic moment. And I agree. That's yeah. when I feel she should have the realization of, oh, I have powers I didn't realize. Unfortunately, then for me, the rest of the scene is those powers awakening a little too quickly because she gets real good at mm-hmm. that lightsaber real quick. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so their, their duel continues. The X-Wings breach the damage oscillator and destroy it, which then starts to create implosion of the planet and the base ray and ren continue to fight in the forest as the world starts collapsing ray says he can show ray kylo ren says he can show ray the ways of the force and like offers to to train her as these guys like to do Uh, but this triggers something in her and she kind of enters a meditation and is suddenly able to overpower kylo ren and she slices his leg and arm and then he's trying to get back up and she slices his face. And at first I thought she chopped off his arm. I remember thinking this when I saw it and then I forgot it and realized she didn't. But then even when I watched it the other day, I was like, did she chop off his hand? But she just slices his face and arm. Yeah. And, and gives him a really him. cool face scar. Yeah. Yeah. And like right across the middle of the face. And then the earth cracks between them, um, splitting them. Which is a bit much for me. Snoke like then, it was a bit too, bit too confide, tr- tried that this planet breaks perfectly between, like the f- two feet yeah. that separates them. Yeah, it's the way of the Force, Al. That's the only way you can excuse some things in the Star Wars films. Excuse. You just have to say, "Oh, okay. it was the Force." I'm on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, Snoke. we've got him this far, Al. <laughs> yes, Snoke orders Hux to bring himself and Ren back to him. Um, and he says that it's time that Kylo Ren completes his training. Ray finds Finn, and they're rescued by Chewie, and they escape with the fleet as the planet explodes. And we get back to the Resistance base. Everyone's celebrating. Leia finds Ray, gives her a hug. Suddenly, R2 awakens, and he tells them that he has found Luke, and he projects the map of the galaxy, and BB-8 comes and projects the missing piece of the map. We cut to Finn, who's in a coma. Ray says goodbye to him. And says, I'll see you again, friend, and gives him a kiss on the forehead. Um, and then she embarks on a journey with Chewie in the Millennium Falcon. They then. F- yep. Yeah, no, just quickly then before we get to that last scene. Like, R2D2, is he. So has he just been searching this entire time? Like, I found it very weird. He just suddenly wakes up and I just. I, I thought, what, could he not do that earlier? Had he been searching databases the whole time, or what was the deal? Yeah, I don't know what the deal is there. So all we know yeah. is that he was in low power mode since. Mm-hmm. Luke disappeared. So, I mean, is Luke controlled? Like, is Luke ready to be found? Right, okay. Maybe. And somehow he powers, mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. I don't know either. Right, I'm on board. Anyway, they fly to a watery planet, which is full of small rocky islands. Ray starts ascending to the top of a mountain through this old temple-like structure. And who should be standing there at the top but the cloaked figure of Luke Skywalker? He turns around, removes his hood... As Ray hands him his lightsaber. No, it was and right. then we go to a big wide shot as it ends. Yeah. Sorry. 
Question mark. Is he standing by a gravestone? Oh, really? You think? Mm. Yeah, if you look at it again, there's like what looks like a gravestone. Whose gravestone? I remember our friend and fellow podcaster, Justin, brought that to my attention when he first saw the film. R.O.P. Justin. And I just noticed it watching it this last time. Like, I really noticed it this time. Interesting. I'd have to go back and look at that again. I mean, he's meant to be... I'm guessing this is where the Jedi Temple's meant to be, since he went in search for it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could be... Yeah. Is it Yoda's gravestone? Could be. Could be. And uh, that is the end of our film. Yeah. And, and then she doesn't hand him yeah. the lightsaber. She holds it out for like a long minute. Yeah. And doesn't he doesn't move. ever grab it. <laughs> because they're like, hold it. Hold it. This is the last shot. Hold it. <laughs> it's a very unorganic yeah. way to end a movie, I feel. I feel just them looking at each other was enough. But, uh, but yeah, there we go. That's the movie. We're done. Yeah, the ending is actually in Ireland. They went to a bunch of real life locations throughout this movie, which is nice. And I feel that's one of my favorite things about a film. They feel different. The Jakku is in and Abu Dhabi. Real. Yes. <laughs> Jakku is in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Dakar? Dakar? Dakar. As oh, in yeah. Berkshire, England. Max Kanata's Castle Forest Place is uh, in Puzzlewood, which is also in England. And yeah, Starkiller Base is in Iceland. So they really go around. They did some glow popping to shoot this, as well as Pinewood Studios, obviously, for lots and lots and lots of stage work. But yeah, I do. It's one of my favorite things about this movie is it is a great mix of locations and colors and real life things, which I think helps it out a lot. Oh, guys, long podcast. How you doing? Thanks for sticking around, listeners, if you're up to this point. If you're still here, we appreciate it. <laughs> so out of the other, the last film, where we left it off, The Clone Wars was the last one. It got a 5.9 on IMDb. You guys want to have a guess uh, if this one was higher or lower than The Clone Wars? Hmm. higher i it's i th- i think i know what it got Same. it is higher it, it got an 8.1 this is actually the highest rated star wars film outside of the original trilogy all of the original films in imdb still get higher than this one and i yeah like for the majority of people i know who are star wars fans they went back and forth with whether they liked it or not uh once that initial excitement had worn off uh, normally we'd start with christina but alex Hey! I want to st- start with you, uh, but there's just a couple of... Actually, sorry, I've got a couple more facts quickly to get out of the way. But now I don't want to go to you because I, I have no idea how you're feeling on this repeated viewing of it. What was it? Yeah, so a big thing on this was in summer 2014 when they were shooting this, Harrison Ford broke his ankle on the door of the Millennium Falcon, which halted production for a bit. Foot. Yeah. God, And apparently J.J. Abr- Abrams actually hurt his back while trying to help Harrison Ford out from under the door. <laughs> It was a real hot mess. (laughs) Oh, man. That's horrible. The working title for this was Shadow of the Empire. And Shadows of the Empire was a a multimedia series like books, comics, and a computer game from 1996, which was set. They're between Empire and Jedi, weren't they? Yep. I mentioned them in the original trilogy uh, several times. Yeah. Because it's no longer canon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is a weird little fuck you then that the working title of this was shadow of the empire mark hamill when he uh, was in this film was the exact same age as alec guinness when he played uh, obi-wan in episode four he was 63 years old which is kind of nice allegedly adam driver did not break character throughout the entire shoot and he kept oh his God. mask on while the cameras were not rolling he didn't take his mask off what Yep, wow. yep, yep. I mean, presumably not to sleep and eat, and you know, <laughs> presumably only on set and not in his personal life. <laughs> but who knows? 
And yeah, actually, well, yeah, two last little things. One was I uh, like when when they asked when Finn and Ray asked Han Solo if he is the Han Solo, his replies I used to be, and apparently it's just a nod because Harrison Ford quite often when fans come up into the street and says are you Harrison Ford, he says I used to be. <laughs> that was why they had that. And lastly, was I was getting, there was obviously a bunch of actors auditioned to play Kylo Ren, Adam Driver's role. There are a couple who very nearly got it. <laughs> and I just want you to imagine the film for a second with either of these actors. Hugo Weaving, I don't know if you remember oh, interesting. from The Matrix, who's definitely completely like a much older man. Like, he must be in his 50s, mustn't he, by now? Yeah, maybe even, yeah. And Michael Fassbender. Hmm. Both, both of them nearly got, uh, or were very seriously considered for the Kylo Ren role. For me, it wouldn't work without that reveal of a young, sort of fresh face. Michael Fassbender just yeah. seems way too mature and scary. To me. <laughs> Great actor, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. It seems strange you'd even be looking. I could at imagine. Like I could imagine Hugo weaving more as a supreme leader, Snoke. Yes, rather than yeah, Kylo yeah, Ren. yeah, yeah. Yeah, for Kylo Ren, that would be so... I mean, I get, I guess I get uh, Michael Fassbender. But yeah, Hugo Weaving. Absolutely no. Like, that's such a weird, completely different style. And one last... But like we've sort of touched on... Oh, sorry. No, no, I was no, just no. going to say, what another great thing about Adam Driver, which we've touched on a lot, is his physicality in this. And he's like Yeah, physical, no, exactly. He really, so he proved awesome. himself a lot. And I think, like we were saying earlier, you've got for these fresh actors who really want to prove themselves and they put all of that into it. A last little thing is there was one other cameo in this movie, which is from our Ewok friend, Warwick Davis. Warwick! <laughs> Who is in this movie as a character called Wallivan. <laughs> um, and if Warwick! You, you should totally Google Wallivan, The Force Awakens, on Google to, to see which character he was. But it's this weird little prosthetic sort of... I don't even know how to describe it. He looks kind of like an aardvark anthropomorphic aardvark that's become an army warrior it's very strange very strange sort of creature i think warwick davis since he played wicket in return of the jedi has been in every star wars film since then really nice like it like it anyway so there you go there are all of our facts that was the movie of force awakens alexander chard how was it Hello. for you returning how much do you like this we're going to replace them again in our wrap-up but you know so roughly where is this sitting for you now um well it was really interesting having come off the back of the prequels and having those still so fresh in my mind, I was very, very excited to get to The Force Awakens because I knew the things that I would immediately like about it. I knew the things that I felt it sort of reclaimed and shifted from from the prequel, like the mistakes of the prequels. So I was really, I was really pumped. And it's sort of by the end of it, I was kind of sitting in a, I had a slightly different perspective to the film as to what I've held onto for these last couple of years. Although having discussed it through this podcast, I feel like I'm back towards that. So the issue, like I I was really excited when this film came out. I was really excited that it was this fresh new take. It was through new eyes. The teaser trailer, as I said at the start, just blew my mind. But then coming out of the film and then seeing it a few more times afterwards, I my excitement really waned a lot because I felt I felt there was too much fan service. There was too many kind of self-referential things 
through the characters and through the environments that made it feel like in a way I kind of understood it sort of felt like them saying we're with you we're with the fans we're giving you exactly what you want like this is what we would have wanted to see like here's what you want to see like we and a kind of sense of like we get it kind of thing and we're going to reclaim that we're going to reclaim what George Lucas took away from us (laughs) and that sort of bothered me a lot because it didn't feel in many ways it didn't feel fresh or new and then the story itself even to this point and watching it again is just so derivative beat for beat of a new hope yeah it's it's incredible like how similar those beats are and like those moments except with a new hope i felt like it has moments where it stops to breathe a little bit it stops to let the characters interact like the bit where they're on the millennium falcon and han solo is talking about it being a hokey religion and uh obi-wan's sort of teaching luke like it, it just it settles for moments in a new hope which I really liked and appreciated. Whereas here, it seems like we're going to hit these same beats, but we're not going to let the ball drop. It's just going to be go, 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 next sequence, next sequence, lots of energy. And I took sort of issue with that. And it made me in many ways, coming out of The Force Awakens, respect more what George Lucas did in the prequels in the sense of he understood that he was the director and creator and that it was his creative right to 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 decide what he wanted to do did he did he do it well no i don't think so but he had a vision that he wanted to see through that you know and he created new worlds and new places and new characters that were outside of everything that we were familiar with some of it may have worked most of it didn't whereas this i felt like it was very deliberately revisiting too much stuff and like even with the worlds Yes, I love, I absolutely love that they're on physical sets and locations. And if you're going to do that because we're on Earth, we're we're limited to what we can do. But a lot of it feels like worlds we've also seen that have just been repackaged. Jakku, Tatooine, uh, Maz Kanata's planet is a little bit like Endor. Starkiller Base is like Hoth. But again, yes, you're limited because we're on Earth and there's only so many locations you can do before you move into CGI and set kind of worlds but in saying all that watching it back i just had a really really fun time and i really enjoyed these films in a way that did pull me back to the originals even if some of it was forced and some of it was deliberate and it had an energy and a spirit to it that harked back to that that got so lost in the prequels and i just enjoyed the ride i enjoyed the new characters i really liked the dynamic with Finn and Ray, I loved that our lead, that it still feels like an ensemble piece, but the story we're following Ray's is, is it's a, it's a female lead and we're, we're following her story. Yes. It's going to feel a little sort of out of date in a few years or even now in the fact how like much they emphasize that we have a female lead, but yeah, what can I say? I had lots of fun and I feel like that this was the Star Wars film that I had been waiting for. Like after the kind of excitement and disappointment of the prequels, you know, and the fact that this doesn't quite hit the mark for me on a few points, I'm still, I still love it. I still really enjoy it. I, I feel like it really reignited my energy as a Star Wars fan. And it, it looks cool. It sort of finds a nice line of uh, cinematically of, of structurally doing things that are like the original trilogy whilst adding kind of new newer more contemporary flair 
and yeah, I enjoyed it. It's not my favorite film. I I already know very clearly where it ranks on my list, but for me, it's like okay, like I I can forgive it for the derivative things that and the the fact that it is like a new hope, because in many ways it, it's sort of like after the prequels, it's it's sort of like hit the reset button, and for me, it's like it gives me great confidence at this point moving forward. Sorry for that long rant, but that's that's where I'm at. So I I, I liked. <laughs> so you're back. I mean, that's what I was interested in because we didn't speak about it explicitly, but. I sensed over the last year or so you, yeah, coming off, coming off of it a bit, you know, like it's starting to feel like, ah, uh, not so keen on that film anymore. And we'd never really got to talk about it. So you've kind of gone through that, but you feel really kind of returning to it. It has got you more excited for that world again and going back into The Last Jedi with those characters and what it could be yeah. moving forward. Because we talked about in the prequels, like wanting to, the great thing about the original trilogy is you want to hang out and be on the adventure with these characters. Mm-hmm. And Despite the flaws in this film, I absolutely want to keep hanging out and ad- adventuring with these guys. Yeah, and that's and that that's such a great place to be in. Like, and, and sort of being on the cusp of the Last Jedi now, like it's just got me really, really pumped well, up again. Um, without revealing your full list, can you just uh, give me an insight into if any of the prequels you would place higher than this film? Okay, Christina, Mas- <laughs> you may stay Thank on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, Christina Masterson, your first cogent viewing of this film. How was it for you? Did you enjoy it? Like, I feel like you enjoyed it the yeah, most. Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. It was kind of what I needed this film to be after watching the prequels and to get excited about it again. Uh, it was nice to see some diversity with Ray, Finn, and Poe. And I thought the casting was great. I really liked all the actors. Everybody was likable and funny. The storyline was just nice and simple, which was, you know, refreshing in comparison to the prequels. I get what you're saying, Alex. I totally get that. But for me, like, I don't know. I was relieved that this film was this way. You know, and I thought they did a really good job with bringing back the old and incorporating the new. I thought the balance was perfect. And the battle scenes, as I said, like earlier, worked really well for me because I didn't think it, you know, they didn't draw it out too long. It it was enjoyable and bearable. And... uh, (laughs) They still had all those really cute droids and creatures that, you know, I've always liked in all the films. So I give it an A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Oh, so, we, uh, do we have to give it a ranking? No, I just I mean, did. we will I don't do know. when we get to the end. I'm finding it flow, easy. You know? With all these retrospectives, we kind of tune in and out of when we give rankings on the podcast or not. So if you want to, you're always welcome to. I personally give them but I don't say them out loud a lot of time because then when I come to do my list, it's just very objectively easy for me to do my list because like, well, I might emotionally feel this way, but I factually gave that one a higher score. So, you know, that just makes it. I'm not saying I'm giving this the highest score, but okay. I'm just saying at this moment, I really enjoyed it. Well, let me ask you the same question, Christina. Would you place any of the prequels it. above The Force Awakens? No. <laughs> I gotta be sure. No. And you know what? I feel bad because... I've hated on the prequel so much, but 
I mean, honestly, who am I to hate on it? Would I be able to act any better than any of those actors in it? No. Yeah. Would I have been able to write it better? Probably not. Would I have been able to direct no, it better? But no. Not, like, no. You know, you like, so I, I do feel bad <laughs> because I've seen all these horrible things about it, but I, but I, you can't, what, like, could, I couldn't have done it better. That, but that's, yeah, but you don't, you know, you. <laughs> I don't feel you have to be able to do something in order to be able to criticize it. Like, I don't think you have uh, to. Okay. don't think you go in an art gallery and look at a Van Gogh painting and, <laughs> and you don't like Van Gogh paintings. But you're like, but I couldn't do it. So he must be great. It's like, no, you don't like it. That's okay. But he is great. You know? I'm not sure. But like some, you know, whatever. You're fine to criticize the prequels is all I'm trying to say. And again, like for me, it's like there's great talent involved in the prequels. I genuinely put it all down yeah. to... The wrong timing, the wrong technology, and bad direction. That's yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, and like for me, the mind-boggling thing with the prequels, like as I, I have a list every time we do these of what they've all got on IMDb, and Revenge of the Sith gets 7.6 on IMDb. Oh, Return wow. of the Jedi has 8.4. This is 8.1. Like This is only marginally wow. better on, on IMDb than Revenge of the Sith. Why? It's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> We tried to defend it. I feel we've been very fair on the prequels, but it leaves a bit of taste. I was very excited, so excited to finally be out of that and to get to these films. Oh, yeah. Because I yes. knew I enjoyed these films. I know I have problems with them, but I enjoy them. I, I, here's the thing. The real thing for me with The Force Awakens is, does it work for old fans? And is it going to work for a new generation? That's really the question, you know? It's like, how successful have they been with that? And it's way more complicated. It's way harder for them to do. I think it's the most smartly written film since A New Hope. But A New Hope had to invent a lot of, well, it didn't invent, but it had to like create a lot of that structure. Here they're using that blueprint. And yes, they use it way too close, particularly when you get to the end. But they also have to juggle new characters with old characters coming from different places. You know, they sell, they manage to sell toys here without it seeming like it's in your face all the time. You know, they managed to bring back fan service. And other than a couple of moments, it's done in an organic sort of way. I think what they did here is really fantastic. It doesn't mean it's always successful. For the first half, at least, of the movie, even for the first hour and a half of the movie, I am totally on board with this. And watching it this time reminded me of the very first time when I watched it. As I was watching the film, at least for that first hour or more, I'm thinking, is this my favorite Star Wars movie? Because it's taking so many things that I love about Star Wars and just objectively doing it better. And that is technical things, that is, you know, dramatic things, like just effects, obviously, but like boy, camera movement, comedy. Like there's so many summer stuff in here, which I just think they're doing so much better in that opening two acts. But I agree with you as well, Alex. They do have so much to juggle that then it's, you've got to fill all those beats. Whereas in A New Hope, they could take breathers a bit more often. They could let things breathe more. And I'm a big fan of breathing in films. This film doesn't really do that. It's very preoccupied with it has to entertain you. It also has to fulfill all of the lore. It also has to set up new lore. It has to do a lot of things. And I don't envy the writer's or the director's job in getting all of that working. Or the editor's job, definitely. So I think it's the most impressive I think that's what I'm trying to say. I think this is the most impressive achievement out of any of the Star Wars movies. And the fact that it came out and there wasn't an immediate huge backlash. Sure, there were people who didn't like it, but it wasn't as big, anywhere near as big as you think it would be for something this huge. I think it's an incredible achievement. But yeah, I do think there are problems in that last act. That act has a lot. It's too repetitious for me. The Han Solo death is too 
purposely just framed and and con- contrived. Uh, I think Adam Driver is phenomenal, but he takes off his mask too early for me, which ruins a lot of moments when I'm finding Kylo Ren genuinely the most engaging, scary character in this entire franchise up until he does that and throws his tantrums. Some of the effects, like the effects are fantastic, but it does get quite CGI heavy by the end. By the time we've got planets breaking apart uh, while they're standing on them, it's very Disney-fied and very Marvel and it gets a bit too big for me. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I don't, it's not my favorite Star Wars film. I'm going to say that now. But it damn damn well tried very hard to be, and it nearly made it. Like, it really did for me. Like, if sure. it wasn't for that last act, this is doing all the stuff I love the best that any of them have done. And I'm very, very, very excited now to go into Last Jedi to see where they're taking this stuff. Because J.J. Abrams, for me, is a great functional director. He had some personality, but it's from a very functional Steven Spielberg world place of that frame of directing. Ryan Johnson, who's doing The Last Jedi has incredible character. He's a very, very visionary uh, director who gets a lot of bits, I think, wrong, in my opinion, in his films. But the balance of that is the things that are right are so unique that that excites me. I want to see a Star Wars film with a more unique personality. I want to see a script that's ready to take some real risks. And I'm hoping we're going to get that next week when we get to that show. But before we get to that show, we have to get to another show. So, Christina, I do have a question for you. Which is that what? you come out you come out at the end of this film, were you by any chance thinking, you know what I you know, look, this is all well and good. We're now in the future, we're thirty years on, we're starting with new characters, we're gonna be telling this new story that's gonna link in. That's great. But what I really need to know is how did they get those plans that told them what to do with the Death Star in the first Star Wars movie? I know that's what you've been thinking. <laughs> well, how do you know? I'm here to tell you, don't worry. Because our next show, Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is going to fill in all those little gaps for you. So you damn well know how they got that USB stick. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. What a fucking weird franchise this can be at times. Uh, yeah, that'll be our next show is Rogue One, which was only last year. Can you believe it, Alex? Feels like Rouge a while One. Ago. Feels like a Rouge One. Directed by... <laughs> Guys, please. Directed by Gareth Edwards, one of my own personal favorite directors. Very excited to be talking about that movie next. And then after that, The Last Jedi. And we'll be up to date. We're going to have a wrap-up episode after that. Um, and then we won't be back until next year when this little... Finally start ranking these films. Star, I can't wait. Yeah, put them in order. Um, I'm still conflicted. I really am still conflicted. I've had a lot of jumps. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't th- I think Christina's pretty. I think she's set. I think she knows what's going on. Look at her. Attack of the Clones, number one. <laughs> romance guys (laughs) Uh, um, you gotta follow your heart guys yeah and it tells me to steer well clear of the worst film (laughs) in the fucking franchise (laughs) weirdgeeks.com is where you can head out to check out all of our podcasts if this one hasn't been long enough for you you can listen to more of them Uh, there's this entire franchise of Star Wars ones that we're doing we've also done non-horror ones like Danny Boyle every single Tuesday or nearly every Tuesday we put up a topical one about games and movies where we talk through the weekly news with some shifting co-hosts but every single friday we do have a horror franchise we've done friday the 13th nightmare on elm street invades another body snatches the texas chainsaw massacre right now i'm in child's play with you sir alexander chard and with allison that's Holland. right 
I'm really enjoying going for it as well. Uh, that'll finish up at the beginning of next year. We had to take a two-week break on that one as well due to new editing works. Uh, but don't worry, we're back into that. It will be every single Friday. And we'll follow straight on from that all the way through next year. We've got some great horror franchises going on. You can also go to weirdgeeks.com to patch out to our Twitch channel. Just subscribe now because we've got a couple of great shows that are going to start in 2018. And if you're on weirdgeeks.com, you can email us directly through there or just go onto your own little email-y thing that you do with the fingers and you type in mail at weirdgeeks.com, mail at weirdgeeks.com to email us directly and we will read it and maybe nothing else will happen. Maybe we'll send you a present. Maybe Alex will send you a picture. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. Yeah, I had to think about it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, fuck it. I'll send you something hand-drawn. If you're on weirdgeeks.com as well, you can then patch on straight out to our publisher, we are tessellate.com. Production house, making movies out of LA, London, and Tokyo. We make, just made our first feature film called Starfish, and you can learn all about Starfish on our personal uh, social medias and also on our weekly podcast, Geeks, where we give little updates on it. My social medias is Mr. Al White on everything, as well as on Xbox, if you want to play the video games. Christina Masterson, you're on things. Yes, I am on Instagram and Twitter at underscore hi Christina. And that's it. That's it. You have some you have mm-hmm. some good photos on your on your on your Instagrams. I don't see you tweet very much. Do you tweet much often? No. Okay. Sometimes I'll retweet things. I don't know. I don't really tweet much. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. I'll retweet like political stuff. Uh, uh. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> What's up? Things you have to know. You need About to know. Trump. How can yes. how can people reach how out to you? are we gonna survive? <laughs> Alex, go for it. <laughs> Have we broken you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alexander Chard. Keeping hit us- me up. I don't really tweet much, but if someone wants to get into a debate about all the things I claim to know and maybe don't know about Star Wars, do it. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. You can literally do nothing else but send messages into a void that you don't have to reply to. So it's a great conversation to be having. I want to see you have an argument on Twitter about Star Wars. I think that would be entertaining. Yeah, Twitter war, why not? We will be back in a couple of days with Rogue One. Until then, thank you very much for listening. And we are finally out. Geeks. <laughs> Geeks. Geeks. <laughs>